yeah, get be on time. It's one o'clock exactly. Hit it, and you just I'll shut up and you talk. Now don't go crazy with the intro, okay? My God. All right, everybody, we are here. We are live. We got Dylan Sococcio in the house, and he's requested that I don't go crazy with the intro, so I can respect that. But to introduce the topic, I think the title says it all. We're going to be discussing money, wealth, and currency, as you can see here with the title slide. But if you don't know Dylan, he's been on a few times in the past, and I'm a big champion of his work, the Spirit World series of books which we'll get into, I'm sure, here and there throughout this conversation. But this is a type of chat, a realistic chat about what's going on in the world and what has been going on in the world that I think is much needed. And uh, hopefully it doesn't step on too many people's feelings about what they believe money is or isn't. And we just get as objective as possible about, you know, capital R reality. So what's up, Dylan? Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. And, uh, you know, it's going to be really fun talking about all this stuff. Yeah, I think so, too. And I, I think, uh, you know, we maybe we should just get right into it and not mince words. I want this to be a resource that people can refer to in the future or turn other people on to in, in this larger conversation as it goes on, because we've definitely not seen the end of financial manipulation and money-based slavery, right? Yeah, and I think that's one of the things um, that's important to to set the ground. And there's only a couple of people in here watching, so we might have to do that like in the second hour as well. Is just to kind of drive home the fact that this is not uh, an episode about giving you advice. It's not about an episode of how to <laughs> rip the face off of a market. It's not an episode about to tell you what you should or should not own. It's just going to be as objective as possible. You know, there might be some subjective like speculation between us, but we can always say when we're going to be speculating, you know, when it's like our opinion versus what you can actually prove in the actual world. Yeah, I think at the end of the day, people need to make up their own mind about what they're going to do with their wealth and risks and all. But the larger conversation here is also about commerce as a way of life that humanity has adopted for so long. And just how much of our world is ruled by it. I'm going to start us off with this uh, slide that you found for us synchronistically, synchromistically. I'll let you know that I was going to try to throw together some slides. And uh, the first thing that happened was you saw this pop up in your feed. And I was like, oh, yep, that's a classic quote. Henry Ford, the industrialist, says, It is well enough that people of the nation do not understand our banking and monetary system. For if they did... I believe there'd be a revolution before tomorrow morning. <laughs> that doesn't sum it up. <laughs> and think about when he said that. This was like, you know, a century ago. So 
we are so far off of um, we are so far gone from the principles that America was, you know, at least portrayed to be founded on that it's, you know, it's kind of like, I have friends that are finally starting to come around now, after, especially after this last year where they're like reading my books and stuff and they're finally starting to get in this stuff. But it's like, this has all been going on longer than anybody's grandparents, maybe even great grandparents have been alive. And it really syncs up um, with the crime of 1873. And that's like when they demonetized silver. And um, one of the big topics of the past few years has been the legal fiction slavery that's going on. And coinciding with that 1873 time with, where they demonetized silver, they also made it illegal for any quote unquote legal person, which we know has another name in that context or has another meaning in that context, but they made it illegal to duplicate a quote unquote joint stock trust. And the reason that's important is because the joint stock trust comes from the canon law trust that the international bankers use as their model to enslave the world. And that's how basically things are controlled without being owned. And that's how they can control things for the use of, but not ever be liable for anything. And that's the, the way this system works is a small group of people basically own everything and the rest of the world is their tenant. You're using everything and it's to be brought back into their fold upon death or, or upon when you can no longer pay your taxes or when your uh, descendants can no longer pay your taxes, like some of the stuff that happened in my family. So it's very complex, but it's also very simple. Like you can simplify it, but if you were to actually dive into their system, it's very complex and it's very difficult to understand uh, for the average person, which is why almost nobody does understand it. Hence the Henry Ford quote. Yeah, that's always been the move with controllers and priest classes. And when you when it comes to the uh, economic rulers of the world, there's actually a pretty blurry line between priesthood and being like a financial businessman. There, there's a or a lawyer. These things all run together because at the top, it's coming from this crown corporation, this Vatican origin. Very important, and we'll point out details relating to that as we go. Also want to say what's up to the chat. I'm able to keep an eye on that while we talk to a degree. And uh, Glowstone Billy in the chat, got to give him a shout out. This is my my cousin. He's younger. We had a conversation about this last week during Easter family get together. And he mentioned like, maybe you should just do a show about this. And I was like, you know what? You're right. Because there are people like you and me that have studied these issues for a long time and had a lot of questions. And then there's people that are newer to the conversation wanting to know, well, what is money? What, how does currency work? Uh, because there's so much mystification, as you said, which is, you know, that's really important for everybody. And I, I know that when I first learned about what our currency was and how fiat worked, which we'll get into, it completely changed my life. I think that was the very first step on my path to being a crazy conspiracy theorist <laughs> was in a college class I had, it was my capstone class for English. And you got to do a research topic of your own choosing. And I chose to make a video. It was my first time making a video. 
And all I did was just explain how fiat currency works and uh, fractional reserve banking. So pretty enlightening stuff and pretty mind-blowing for a young mind to discover that the whole system we're, it, we're playing in is like a game of musical chairs. But you brought up your books. I want to pull up this slide before we go further. I got Dylan's books here, and I've read all three of these. I reference these books for a lot of things. The best part about them is probably the phonetic word magic breakdown that Dylan is able to provide on all kinds of different subjects. But you see the middle book here, The Blackest of All Magic. A lot of that book has to do with the exact conversation we're having today, the financial systems of control and the priestcraft sorcery that goes into make these systems such good control systems. So if Dylan has anything to say about what I just pointed out in terms of an awakening point for somebody learning about what the world really is, or not the world, but what the artificial matrix really is, uh, for the first time being money, I think that's a great entryway because all of a sudden you're like, oh, I'm playing a rigged game. What else is rigged? But, you know, tell us about your books and respond to any of that as well. Sure. Um, before I do that, let's just acknowledge some people in the chat. We've got uh, Joseph Schaff Schaffner or Schaffner, David Johnson's lit already. Bitcoin beats fiat. I guess that's a subjective opinion. It's kind of the same consciousness level of consciousness in my uh, in my opinion. Glowstone Billy, how's it going? Ryan Devano, uh, he said, "What if we do not wish to engage in commerce at all?" Well, if you don't engage in commerce, then you're either in some sort of like gift economy, um, but commerce, I think that what ha tends to happen, and I think this is really important to address, is that people will look at the way the current system is being run and how depraved it is, and then they'll be like, commerce is bad. Well, no, commerce is why we have a civilization. <laughs> you know, like if you can't buy and sell what your goods are, then how are you supposed to survive, you know? And Commerce is actually a good thing because it enables you to secure a lifestyle for yourself so that you're not always in a scarcity-based mindset, just surviving, just hunting, just gathering, just farming, totally dependent on nature, you know? So um, that's a really – commerce is a really good thing if it's not being perverted. And then he also asked, should we make an adverse claim to the birth certificate? I mean, honestly – by getting into all that legal stuff, you're descending into their madness. Because if you look at the system, it's like a game of monopoly that's gotten out of control. It's like you sat down with a mentally ill child who makes the rules up as they go. And that's what they've been doing for over 600 years, perfecting this system of slavery. And so if you decide to play in their game, they're always going to have one leg up on you. And they can just change the rules and there's nothing you can do about it because they have all the monopoly on force. They control the police. They control the military. They control all the things that can be used to strong arm you and shake you down. So really participating in their system isn't a solution. The best thing is to get your wealth out of their system so that you're not exposed to any of the counterparty risk uh, of their corruption. But at the same time, you want to be able to dip into that system and play their game since that is the system that has been set up. You just don't want to have your livelihood exposed to it. Uh, and then David Johnson, again, with, uh, you know, he said coinciding equals coinciding. Well, what does Cohen mean in Hebrew? That would be priest. That's why the Cohen, someone with the last name Cohen, takes over in a temple if there's no rabbi, right? So 
Cohen also is phonetically linked to the Greek word for dog, which would be kion. So if you were to transliterate this into English, it would be Q-U-O-N. And how synchromistic is this? Because when you first sent me that email, what, what the show notes would be, Cohen is also basically coin, C-O-I-N, co-in, coin. And I thought that was wild because you also had some things you wanted to um, suggest about the etymology of the word coin. I think that was uh, very interesting. But back to the books. Book one is going to be an alchemical text. Um, It's one of those books that was written a certain way to teach you how to think like the priest class. How to the, the main benefit of it is you're going to finish book one and you're going to have a really good understanding of what uh, Langver or green language, otherwise known as the language of the birds, is and how uh, the creative class communicates through the use of symbolism and even language. But it's their own language seemingly disguised under a different language. And that's what you see in like legalese and all these other things. And then once you get through book one, that is the book that's going to change. It might even raise your IQ. I have a lot of people telling me they're they're different after they read it. They see things differently. Um, it's almost like the words are alive or there's something organic about it. But then book two is going to be like the meat, whereas book one is like the milk for the people who are, for lack of a better word, uninitiated. Book two is going to be more uh, the meat. The, the real intense stuff that everybody needs to know, but almost nobody has the patience or the willpower to sit through it and do that work on their own and understand it. And that's why it's, you know, it's, I would say maybe like a third of the people that read book one actually make it to book two. And then if you can get through book two, book three is going to be like a work of art where it just goes, it's probably the most important, as Crow said, it's the most important of all the books but it's the most advanced and there's going to be the most symbolism. We're going to go, you'll learn everything from the, the holy or sacred glyphs, you know, to you name it, color symbolism. Um, book three is the one I'm most proud of. Uh, but to get to that, to being able to understand book three, you got to go through the first two books and they're all designed to be one book. I just gave my audience the choice. Do you want one book that's over 600 pages or do you want them in installments so you can get started on them now and that's why there's three books instead of one and uh speaking of commerce it's a pretty damn good deal ten dollars or something for one of those books and like you said i think it can raise someone's iq because intelligence is a factor of the two sides of the brain the intellect and the generative principle which is creativity and we're trained to look at language just through the left brain, just through the intellect, just through the given definitions from authority or from society. And uh, those don't even really coincide with the real original definitions or the etymological definitions. And so looking at it from the creative side is starting to imagine, well, what could this also mean? What does it sound like? What is this word made out of? And we've got a great example here in this slide. What is money? We're going to start here. Well, We're going to start here, but I'm going to make one more disclaimer before we go on, in case it wasn't clear. This conversation is going to potentially offend anybody that has a religious type of belief about crypto or about about money or gold or any of these things. We're probably going to step on any toes that are out there in the lane if they, you know, if someone doesn't pull back and just put themselves on the shelf. 
take the information in and decide for themselves later, but don't just reject it out of hand. Like we're not telling you what to think or what to do, like Dylan said. But with money, we're going to start here. What is money? Mon plus I or E. Mon is mono. That's one. I is I, self or uh, perspective or your actual I. And there it is right there on the back of the dollar bill. The world famous Anuit Coeptis Novos Ordo Seclorum. New World Order. <laughs> you want to explain this a little more, Dylan? In terms of like the occult significance or? Yeah, I mean, like. Like, like that means like he approves uh, our undertakings uh, or our plan in Novus Ordo Seclorum. Yeah, it's the, the New World Order. And that I, the one I, the mono I, the money, it's, they're basically subverting um, like organic enlightenment and they're putting it on in sigil magic on you know which for all intents and purposes that that green quote-unquote federal reserve note is um it's necromancy if you think about it that's why they have dead presidents on it and there's all kinds of sigil magic laid up in that and symbolism and there's as much of uh, a dark undertone on it as there is as a, as a good undertone. Someone else might see that and really think like the eye of providence. And uh, they could look at that from a positive perspective that this, this unit allows me to go anywhere in the world and engage in commerce with other cultures, even if we don't speak the same language, because we both know what all of this means and what this is worth. And that's the power of symbolism. In a way, if you did have a unified value system of exchange, that concept of the one I could be kind of positive because we're having a shared sort of uh, view of value. We have, we're unified in that sense. We have something that we can all use and agree upon, but what that money actually is, is a big changing, shifting quicksand thing over the course of time. It's gradually gone further and further away from something that was grounded in reality and actual value and more and more into the realm of imaginary, conceptual, artificial as things has gone, have gone on. And that'll be a big topic as we go forward as well. Well, yeah, that thing is not back. That, that, the problem with that quote-unquote currency is that it, it has no value. It's a future promise on wealth. And it doesn't actually realize its value until you, until you exchange it for good. So there's that. And the only reason anybody uses it is because that's what the petrol dollar is tied to. And so countries have to sell their, uh, or they have to trade in their currencies for us fiat to then buy oil because of the arrangements that the American oligarchy and uh, globalist international banking families, whatever you want to call them, uh, made with families like the Saudis and, if you don't do that and you ever decide to, you know, leave the flock and think you're going to be your own king like Saddam Hussein or Gaddafi or something, well, then you see what happens. Uh, America is used as like a strong arm to just destroy everybody that gets in the way of the international bankers. And, you know, it goes back to what Rockefeller said. 
Competition is a sin. So if you're going to play that game, you got to know who you're getting involved with before you enter the game. Because if you ever grow a conscience or an ego, they're going to take you out quicker than the diseases dripping out of your skanky butt crack. What a great illustration. Thank you for that. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's a really good point that a lot of the wars that have happened in the last hundred plus years have had an entire background theme of installing a central bank at the uh, place that didn't have one yet. It goes, it goes on. I mean, it's like a constant repetition there. And the, in, you look at a chart of the world and every country that is in debt will be colored red and the whole damn chart is red. So how is every country in debt, right? Like there might be a couple of maybe a few holdouts. I'm not sure that don't have connections to the international banks, but that's a lot of what these wars of aggression were about was getting everyone under the same system. That's what the new world order is really for. The concept is a one world government, a top down control, a corporation soul, all leading back the roads, going back to Rome as usual. And, Oh, Rose jumped in. Rose, what's up? This is good. Good to see you. Cool. Uh, Dylan, you want to say hi to Rose? Hey, Rose. Another one of our favorite peeps. And uh, we're always getting in heated discussions. But for me, it's like normal discussions because I'm from like a big Italian family. But like the chats, when they see us talking about stuff, they're like, oh, my goodness. Why is Dylan so angry? Why is this millennial so angry all the time? Yeah, we talked about that earlier today that we're both like pretty fiery, but I'm the cerebral Aries fire and you're the passionate heart Leo fire, chaos wildfire. <laughs> so you know what? We work well together. We temper that. Well, you you get me a little more fired up and uh, maybe I calm you, you calm down a little down. bit. <laughs> yeah. I'm a little scrappy, you know, because I grew up in an Irish town and, uh, you know, the Irish, everybody fights at like the drop of a hat. It's just the way everybody is over where I grew up. Well, that's one of the most repressed uh, parts of the world of all time. If you look at like Tessarion's work on that, it's unbelievable. Going back also to Rome and genociding of the original cultures there and multiple installations of different repressive regimes. But to not get off topic, <laughs> Rose says toxic masculinity is killing her. Stop killing her. But let's get back on topic here. <laughs> uh, I'm yeah. going to bring out several definitions of words in this conversation. My favorite dictionary to use is Webster's 1828. You don't have to use that dictionary if you don't like it. But if you look at definitions from there and definitions from modern times, they're usually a lot higher, more higher minded in the older, uh, the older definitions and closer to what an etymological meaning or an original meaning would have been. So that's what we're going to use, but that doesn't mean this is like the end-all, be-all dictionary. However, I think it would be of great interest to people to just start plugging words into that dictionary and seeing, especially buzzwords that are part of you know big social engineering manipulation agendas. They tend to have been inverted in their meaning over time through those Tavistockian tactics, right? So the first word we're going to define, of course, is money. Coin, stamped metal, any piece of metal, usually gold, silver, or copper, stamped by public authority and used as the medium of commerce. We sometimes give the name of money to other coined metals and to any other material which rude nations use as a medium of trade. 
But among modern commercial nations, gold, silver, and copper are the only metals used for this purpose. Gold and silver, containing great value in small compass, by the way, that would mean it has a lot of value in a small package, encompassing a small amount of mass, and being therefore of easy conveyance and being also durable and little liable to diminution by use are the most convenient metals for coin or money, which is the representative of commodities of all kinds, of lands, and of everything that is capable of being transferred in commerce. So we're going to go a little further. I know that was a long first definition, but we got to Isn't look it at interesting, it. though, uh, how they use the word diminution when you look at, like, as real money was basically taking out, taken out of the system, that is where the capitis diminutio gets ramped up. That isn't a coincidence. Yeah, well, tell people what that concept is. Let's go for it. Well, I think it's 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 way off topic. Uh, there's plenty <laughs> of resources, or they can read my book for that. I don't want to get into that because it's just too much of a conversation. Sure, sure, sure. And uh, I'll just, for the smallest little footnote, say that capita means head, and per capita means per head. And capitalism is getting as much as you can out of every head of cattle you've got, which is your your working class, <laughs> your slave class. But all right, to move forward with the the other two lines of definition of the word money. First definition was pretty lengthy, but very obvious. It's just metals that are non-diminishing, that don't go bad like uh, food would. So two is banknotes or bills of credit. That's a key word, credit. Issued by authority and exchangeable for coin or redeemable are also called money. As such, notes in modern times represent coin and are used as a substitute for it, in modern times being in 1828. If a man pays in hand for goods in banknotes which are current, he is said to pay in ready money. And then three is wealth or affluence, and we're going to look into what that means a little more deeply as well. Money can neither open new avenues to pleasure nor block up the passages of anguish. That's a pretty poetic phrase right there. But So right here in this original meaning of money, Fiat. Very contradictory. This this second one is super contradictory because they're admitting that they are bills of credit. Well, credit is not money. You know, it's only it's redeemable for coin, right? So people trust that there is some certain uh, amount of wealth attached to that bill of credit, but it's not. You know, it's admitting that it's not money. Exactly, and yeah. So the contradiction was already there. And we're going to have to talk about as we go, like what even happened to to take coin away and get banknotes in circulation in this idea of credit, right? But we have uh, some slides on the origins of that a little later on. But the important thing to point out about this definition of money is also that it doesn't define cryptocurrency or anything that's conceptual or imaginal or living as ones and not living, but, you know, artificially living as ones and zeros on a screen somewhere. There is a, I guess there's a complete risk of that vanishing into thin air in some way, shape or form. There's a lot of ways the rug could be pulled out from under any digital system where even though people will tell us that, well, you can keep that crypto on some external device and keep it safe, but it still could get destroyed. You could destroy a little crypto wallet with a hammer and it's never going to be retrievable. But go ahead go ahead and take that hammer to a bar of gold and see how well you do. You, you're not going to get rid of it. 
Well, also, um, the, the, the thing that I see that's really confounding, that's how you know there's like a whole lot of uh, religious and also sorcery built around uh, cryptocurrency, but also like, you know, you see that same mentality infesting every other world of like investment or asset class, you know, like you see it with gold bugs and silver bugs, right? It's this idea that there has to be one currency, you know, and that, that, as you rightly pointed out in some of our previous conversations is that is the march to one world currency. That's why everything is the way it is because people are expected to use a standard currency for everything rather than allowing people to buy and sell in whatever the fuck they want to buy and sell in, you know, this thing called freedom, but guess what? You can't tax freedom. So you have to have some sort of system that is standard so you can get that capital tax, you know, and then you also need a system that you can track. Otherwise that's why they're getting off of the quote unquote cold, hard cash, which was gold and silver because even gold and silver, though it is a standard unit of, of value, you can't track it because it's all off the record. And so that's when it going into digital currencies, that's why the, they're so appealing to the uh, centralized bankers, because especially with the blockchain technology, you can create a ledger system that tracks every single uh, tra- transaction that's ever been done. But I think when we're going, since we just did the, uh, the Webster's definition of money, I think we should actually explore what makes something money to begin with. And as that definition already said, it has certain qualities about it, like fungibility. And so when in terms of being fungible, the status quo definition or explanation for that would be like units of the good should be of a relatively uniform quality so that they are interchangeable with one another. And if different units of the good have different qualities, then their value for use in future transactions may not be reliable or consistent. So trying to use a non-fungible good as money results in transaction costs of individually evaluating each unit of the good before an exchange can take place. And this is something where cryptocurrency does actually shine. This is the only, the only uh, standard of what makes something money that cryptocurrency meets because it's so exact. Um, but then you have durability. So that would be the physical character of the good. It should be durable enough to retain its usefulness in future exchanges and be reused multiple times. A perishable good or a good that uh, degrades quickly with use and exchanges will not be as useful for future transactions. Um, Trying to use a non-durable good as money conflicts with money's essentially future-oriented use or value and this is what you see with like um so if you look at coins that are all pre-1965 so like 1964 and older in america the dimes the quarters they're all um they're 90 percent silver it's what's called some people call it junk silver i don't like that term i think constitutional silver is probably a better word for it because it's still 90 percent silver that you can melt down and purify um it's not really great to buy dimes like that if they've been in circulation because the wear and tear uh, minimizes how much silver is actually in them. So if you were to ask, is cryptocurrency durable? Well, how can, you know, first of all, you'd have to ask, what is cryptocurrency made of? You know, what is it made of? Anybody? Anybody in the chat? What's what's cryptocurrency made of? Yeah, uh, 
And let's wait for people to answer that question. And I'm just going to say again, this isn't saying don't use crypto, but it's about knowing what it is. <laughs> because I'm also not going to tell you not to use fiat or dollar bills. I mean, how are you going to get your groceries until you get totally outside of Babylon? And then that's its own set of problems. So we just want to bring some reality to the conversation, not trying to like dog on people that are really into crypto. That's a real that's like that's a real thing. And it's so easy to get people set off about that. So we've got one answer as far as what crypto is. Digits is an answer. Uh, zeros and ones, the ether. Are those conceptual or actual? Yeah. So nothing physical is basically the exactly. The so answer. rather than Leaf. wait for anybody because we don't have a, we don't have a big enough crowd to get uh, answers out. How can something that's conceptual, whether it's made of algorithms, digits, numbers, whatever you want to call it, symbols, how can something conceptual be durable in the actual world. It's not. It's a non sequitur thing. It, it doesn't make sense. So even trying to have that conversation about whether cryptocurrency is durable or not is like it's it doesn't make any sense. So then hey, the next hey Dylan, thing that makes sense before you go, go on, ahead. go ahead. Is your uh, do you have like a headset plugged in that's working? And there's a little bit of a scratchy sound coming through. I just want to make sure that's not like rubbing against your collar or oh, something. Man, maybe that's what it is. Hold on a second. It might be rubbing against my. Uh, my beard. I'm not clean shaven. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know what else I can do. How's, how's it going right now? It's going well. It's going well. I, I mean, just, uh, if you hear it, say something, but I don't have any other means. All I have is this headset and a, a yeah, laptop sure. that's from 2012. A little bit of beard scratch is fine. Just, it was getting a little distracting and I don't want people to use that as a reason to turn this off because it's important, but I want you to continue your point. Didn't mean to interrupt, but wanted it to come through. No, clear. I agree. It's always good to do that. Don't feel like you're walking on eggshells or stepping on toes. We definitely want to make sure the quality is good. Um, so I'll continue unless you stop me. Money needs to be portable. And so it should be divisible into small quantities, like that definition said, so that people can appreciate its original use or value uh, highly enough that a worthwhile quantity of the good can be conveniently carried or transported. And this is why gold and silver have made the best money right? At the turn of the 19th, 20th century, uh, an ounce of gold bought you a fine suit. An ounce of gold still buys you a fine suit, right? Only a fool values a precious metal in some illusory unit like fiat, right? Nobody who actually knows why they buy gold and silver or why they hold those own that property no one that knows why they do that actually gives a shit about what the U.S. fiat value of that coin is because that's not what that coin is made out of. It's made out of gold. It has the properties of gold. It has the properties of silver. Anybody who thinks this is not rare material, let them go make a video of themselves mining an ounce of gold or silver inside of a week and purifying it themselves because out of a technological era, it's really difficult to do. Now, there are some people that have really good quality technology and the means to do this and they have the money. And so that's a different story. That's why, you know, for them, that's why the price would ultimately come down. But the gold and silver markets, the physical markets, are the spot price is not determined by how much physical metal is available. It's determined by the price of all the manipulations through the contracts. So when you look at like exchange traded funds, all that stuff, there's like 500 claims for every physical ounce available. 
So if there is ever any type of crisis where people want to take physical delivery of their metal, 499 people are not going to be getting that physical ounce that they thought they owned because they were just trading in a contract. And it just goes to show you anyone's ever had like an account. Like I had a friend who had like $40,000 worth of silver back in the day, but then lost all that because he never actually took physical possession. So things or uh, MF Global, I don't know if anybody remembers that. Go look back at MF Global, research that, what they did with gold. And um, people lost their metals. So if you don't hold it, you don't own it. If it's not in your possession, it's not yours. So is cryptocurrency in your possession? Is fiat in your possession? Maybe you can get some of those paper dollars. It's better. But if all your money is in a bank account and digital ether, is that in your physical possession? If that bank goes under, you're an unsecured creditor. That means they don't have to pay you back. You should have known you were giving your money to or your currency to a money junkie gambling degenerate that was making high risk gambles with your uh, wealth and using crazy systems like um, uh, the lending practices, the derivative markets. There's like nobody even knows what the actual debt is. It's like a 400, uh, sorry, like a four quadrillion market, some people estimate. You know, when you look at like all the fractional reserve lending and all this nonsense, it's creating debt out of nothing, right? So that's why they have to continually create more debt than the previous year. That's why they're not going to pay the deficits off because they can't. If they pay off the debt, they're taking the currency out of circulation and everything stops. The solution will be to make whatever the debt is worth nothing. So then if you have tangible assets to cover that, you can satisfy the debt easily. A great example would be to look at what the price of an ounce of silver was in Venezuela in like the 60s in Bolivar. It's going to be like 80 Bolivar, something like that, 60 Bolivar. Now you look at it, you're talking tens of millions of dollars. It's like upwards of like 40 or 50 million Bolivar for one friggin' ounce of silver. So when the debt becomes worthless, it doesn't matter how much fiat you have if the fiat is zero. A trillion dollars in fiat is still going to be zero in value. There's a Rick so and Morty episode where, in this Rick and Morty episode that, that people may have seen, there's like a galactic federation of an empire of evil bugs and they're like pretty capitalist or something. I don't know. And uh, Rick defeats them by changing the value of one of their currency to making it worth zero of itself. And they all just killed themselves instantly because no one was paying them. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, just to go back to the portability of something, right? If we're dealing with an actual real world value, can something like cryptocurrency be portable? Again, it's non sequitur because something conceptual can't be portable in the actual world. Like is email portable? No, it doesn't exist in reality. That doesn't mean there isn't a value in email. Email is amazing. It's how we're setting this up. Cryptocurrency is probably the best thing to have if you ever have to flee the country and start over because you can just go with your laptop to anywhere in the world, log in, get your crypto back from your wallet, and then go cash it in for something real. But that's the thing is you have to be able to cash it in for something real. Otherwise, nobody's going to recognize what it is wherever you go. Not nobody, but very few people if you look at like the aggregate. So is, is it actual? If we're going to be talking about actual things like portability, then cryptocurrency doesn't even fit into that because it's conceptual. 
right? It's like, is my video game currency from my massive multiplayer online role-playing game portable? No, but I can log in anywhere in the world and use my video game currency online in that world, in that fictional world. And then the next thing would be stability, right? Is the, is the money stable? And the value that people place on a good in terms of the other goods that they're willing to trade should be relatively constant or increasing over time. A good whose value varies widely up and down over time or consistently loses value over time is less suitable. This is why fiat is trash, right? So I understand the argument that like Bitcoin is better than fiat because yeah, fiat is going in the exact opposite direction of preserving value. It's actually lost over 98% of its value since we left the gold standard in 1971. And so trying to use a non-stable good as money produces transaction costs of repeatedly revaluing the good in each successive transaction and the risk that the exchange value of the good might drop below its other direct use or value or not be useful at all, in which case it will no longer be circulate as money. And this is what you see happening in countries that uh, experience hyperinflation, right? It, the money is losing it, the, sorry, the currency is losing its value so fast that they can't even change the menus or the prices fast enough. They're just like covered up with like post-its and list the new ones because it, by, by the beginning of the day and the end of the day, that value has lost a shitload, that currency has lost a shitload of its value. And when people who have lived through these hyperinflationary circumstances, like you might buy a bottle of wine at the beginning of a meal, and by the end of the meal, the bottle is worth more than the friggin' wine was that you paid for it, because it's so the, crazy. The value has, it's awful. Yeah, it's it's awful. So, a lot of people think like I, I'm like a proponent of like fiat or anything. Like, no, really, hear what Chance and I are going over. We're not talking about, you know what our opinions are or what we prefer. It's, this is not the conversation for that. And so if you were to just ask, is any cryptocurrency stable? I mean, it's driven by speculation. You only have to go back a few months ago. The first time Bitcoin went up to close to 60 grand, that weekend it dropped 30% of its value. Nothing that can lose its value or purchasing power can be money. So when you look at an ounce of gold or an ounce of silver, that ounce or gold or ounce of silver still stays the exact same. Its properties in the real world don't change for thousands of years. And that's why they have been used as money. Gold is eternal. Like literally, I think it's over 93% of all the gold that's ever been mined in investable form still exists. Cryptocurrency yeah. barely has 10 years under its belt. And someone in the chat, Warhammer says, regardless of crypto's real or not, there's people that have made money and closed their debt and made their life better. So I'm not arguing that, and neither are you, just to be clear. But it's Yeah, a- that's not the argument. And that's again, this is why this is such a touchy subject, is because there's such uh, not to insult that person, but there's such um a blindness. They're blinded by greed because they are in a moment in time where they can invest worthless fiat into something that's going to go up in terms of worthless fiat, then they can pull profit cash out and convert the new fiat that's worthless into something of real value. And right now, during this moment of time, the US dollar, which is the fiat of the world, basically the reserve currency, that has the most value because there's nothing better to go into. So it has the most purchasing power. So if you're American, people are uh, 
changing lifestyles because of their ability to buy and sell cryptocurrency. But again, there's no guarantee that it's going to be like that. What happens if uh, something like hyperinflation occurs and you can't get other currencies? So the only thing you can actually trade your Bitcoin in for is worthless currency. Would you still do it? No. Then you'd be stuck in a situation, well, who's going to accept my Bitcoin? Can you go to the grocery store and use Bitcoin yet? Can you go to the gas station, convenience store? No. So it's it gets to a situation, and this is why gold and silver is so uh, powerful as money is because it doesn't have any counterparty risk. It's not relying any other on any other system. If everything went to shit and broke down, we could still do trade with actual money because they're not money substitutes. And I think this is the problem is everybody looks at gold and silver like they're assets, which they're not. They are money. They satisfy a debt. Everything else is a credit or a derivative of that. Yeah, and one of the, I brought this up a second ago, but one of the definitions of money is wealth. And this ties into what you're saying. Prosperity or external happiness. Prosperity is its own like deep meaning, but riches, large possessions of money, goods, or land, that abundance of worldly estate, which exceeds the estate of the greater part of the community, affluence, opulence. So in one term, they're saying wealth means that you have more than others, but it's also potentially just meaning that you have a large possession of goods or land, or just the idea of prosperity is all those things without necessarily it being more than what others have. So it could be your wealth is it, you know, your own health is a big factor. What can you do to repay a debt? You can go do physical labor and work. That's in one sense, the way that your health and can be used as a wealth exchange system. And so it's just like, like you said, um, and like Warhammer said in the chat, crypto is not a good long-term investment. It's good to get in and out and find something. Oh yeah. Listen, listen, everybody who's a crypto enthusiast, Rip the fucking face off the market. Take advantage of these lemmings. They're fucking trash. A lot of these people are the reason why our country is circling the drain because they're money junkies. They have let their greed move us off of everything actual. So we're all existing in all these digital illusions of wealth, fake friends, fake skills. Marketing is a skill. No, it's not. Knowing how to garden is a skill. Knowing how to use a Sith. To freaking harvest wheat is a skill. Knowing how to build something is a skill. Shuffling button, uh, paper, pushing buttons online for your gambling, that's not real wealth. And this whole society is crumbling because it has gotten rid of actual skills <laughs> and substituted them with fake skills. And I'm not saying I'm not guilty of that. We all have a hand in it. But if you have the resources, I would. if, if you want to uh, gamble... There is no better option than cryptocurrency. That's that's the whole point of the system is it's to get you out of real wealth because you're sitting there, well, my gold and silver doesn't make money for me. No, it doesn't because it is money. <laughs> it's real. Everything else, you if you want to stay ahead of the inflation stuff, they're pushing us into gambling. That's what they've done. They've pushed us in. You have to speculate on housing. You have to speculate on friggin' you name it. Everything is all one giant casino and that's they put us in a situation where back in the day you could just put your money in a bank and get interest on it. You know? This is a tangent too, but it's an important one because what we're this casinoification of the economy is the gamification of society. It's a big step towards the 
plans of technocrats that have been laid long ago. What you have in modern video games, comp- like I was just playing this old game, a remake of it. It's from like 1999. It's called Half-Life. It's freaking sweet. You are in a secret underground military research base and you accidentally open a dimensional portal and then the army comes in to kill you and, and all the aliens. It's awesome. And the game's tough. And how you play the game is you start the game and you go through the game and everything that is available in the game to pick up or use is useful and uh, has just a very specific purpose. It's not this endless game of like finding the next version of the same thing that has a slightly higher number on the menu about it, right? (laughs) It's actually like you pick up a, a crowbar and it's the crowbar and it is what it is and it does what it does, right? And in modern games, especially on the phone, but more and more in all types of games, this is like training children, right? You have these things called loot boxes or they might call it something else where a lot of times a person has to like pay some sort of currency that they could buy more of with fiat an in-game currency to get one of these loot boxes. And then the box just has like a random item. It could be very not useful. It could be maybe pretty useful, but you're just like training kids to roll the dice, spend their money on speculating or, or gambling or a randomly generated procedural digital item that has not even a real item to begin with. Whereas the old tactic for games in, in terms of how items work in the game was to just like, make the item do what it did and there's one version of it and you use it and there's none of this other like text-based number crunching stat-based like taking a lot of the things out of role-playing games like Dungeons and Dragons and turning them into a different entirely entirely different thing that's all about dopamine hits and psychological addiction to the like getting the shiny higher number the green up arrow, like there's so many ways that they, they program this for the person visually. There'll be an audio sound of like when they open the box and there'll be some, you know, elaborate animation of the box opening and all these little things to just get that dopamine hit of you're rolling the dice, you're rolling the dice, pulling the casino slot machine. You know, that's what all this is. And it's why I've never, been interested in trying to get into crypto speculation myself because I don't feel good about trying to make money off of fools. But I also see your point, but that these types of fools that you're talking about, some of them are responsible for why things have gone so far into an artificial value system and uh, a lifestyle that's adversarial to nature. I mean, these money junkie fools are the reason that, you know, my wealth has been manipulated for so long. And so, yeah, I don't feel bad. I think if you're a good investor doesn't look at anything with emotion they just look at it as is this going to go up yes is this the trend of where society is going yes do i like it that's irrelevant my opinion is irrelevant if that's where it's going i might be able to create a service that uses this or profits off of this or i might be able to at the very least just buy it and sell it and pull profits and create a life for myself where i don't have to deal with these fucking lemmings and so for me it's like i'm all for that if that's going to get you to a position where you're off out of the system because you played the game so well, and then you can spend your time to create a more abundant system and help others, I think that's a very good thing. What I don't think is a good thing is how uh, dishonest everybody's being with themselves. They're like little meth addicts telling like people that they're stores of value, that it's actual money, when not one of these, uh, very few of the people that support all this shit can even tell you what money is. It's, it's very embarrassing. 
and then you, you're going to take advantage of like old people who need that money to retire and you're having them speculate with the wealth that they need to survive the rest of their life because they don't have the physical stature to actually do labor anymore and they're not going to be able to compete in any job markets that's fucking crazy and you need to you know look in the mirror what you're doing if that's the route you're taking but if you're just speculating and fucking selling to the greater fool then fuck them if that i i, I you got to do what's comfortable for you for me i wouldn't feel bad about it because i have a lot if you can't tell by the tone of my voice i have a lot of resentment because i can't come from the financial background and I saw what was going on with the first collapse when the system died back in 2008. And so that's what made me walk away from it because the more I started looking into why everything was working the way it was and why it happened, the more corrupt I saw that everything is. And then it kind of made me realize why the founding fathers were so adamant about the only things that a state shall use to tender debt being golded silver coin. That's it. And it's to stop this fraud. As Thomas Jefferson said, whether your opinion of him is good or bad, doesn't matter. None of us know him, but he did say, paper is poverty. It's the ghost of money and not money itself. And that's paper. What do you think digital illusory wealth is? It's digits. It's nothing. It's in the digital ether. Going back to, if you don't hold it, you don't own it. Can you hold cryptocurrency in your hand? No. Then it's not something you own. So don't delude yourself. Just recognize, yeah, I don't own this. I don't have control over it, but I know how to make money or make currency that I can then cash out into money and real wealth, real land. You know, you can afford to homestead then. You get real wealth, real land, and you're creating a family, children, real wealth, loved ones, real wealth, community, real wealth, vegetables. Someone uh, wrote in the um, chat, heirloom scenes, B. Oliver. Absa fucking lootly heirloom seed bank for their family. I've got one. Sheep herder hit the uh, nail on the head when he said, you know, they're just going to increase the value for people to cash in because what they're doing is they're getting all the greedy masses comfortable with using digital illusory wealth, even more so than the digital banking system we already have. But at least now you can still use cash to buy goods and not and, and maintain your anonymity and your privacy. But once that physical transaction is gone, everything's going to be on the record and you are going to be like the, in the ultimate form of like <laughs> cattle slavery, you know, livestock slavery. And so when I was involved with some of this uh, financial stuff, I was also involved with Hollywood and through that, you see like the political and the banking people and at all the same parties. Everybody's all like moving in one cult circle, if you will. The reason I knew Bitcoin was awful from the beginning is who was involved with it. And I'm not going to talk about it, but it's like the same disgusting, you know, hyper homosexual child predator type people that marry women, which are known as beards, right? Because they're under contract to make them look less gay and less predatorial like oh i would never do that see i've got a wife you know but deep down these people all engage in the nastiest shit you can think of and so if i were going to speculate in types of cryptocurrency well i would actually look into who's got which crypto has the most evil psychopathic scumbag uh warmonger control freaks behind it and that's the one that i would put my money in because that's the one they're going to allow to succeed you got to know who's playing the game and get on their team if you're going to dip in the devil's pool. 
Okay, well, this actually makes a good segue. I was wondering how I'm going to do this segue, but it, it works well because the same like psychopath, e- evil, greedy, monstrous people and families that you're describing, that there's a really good recent episode of Crow 777 where they get into the idea of scarcity, engineered scarcity. How do you scare a city with scarcity? And one of the things they talked about is uh, lab-grown diamonds and also the fact that diamonds as a as a valuable gem or whatever were, were never considered as valuable as they were once the marketing campaign happened to make everyone in the United States, and then they did it in other countries too, believe that that's the only way that you could get engaged is by buying a diamond ring. And they even convinced guys that it needed to be worth the three months of their salary. Can you imagine? I didn't think that a trend is, is dipping down, but I'm going to pull up a slide here from the new economy. Lab-grown diamonds are creating a more socially responsible diamond industry. And why does this matter? It's because, and how's this a segue? Because these are artificially grown diamonds, just like the coins are artificially made on a blockchain ledger. And like Dylan said, the most evil, psychopathic, greedy one that you can find as far as who's backing it, that's probably the one that's going to do well and succeed. Diamonds are the same way. They did well as a commodity and succeeded for that very same reason. And in this article, it says the millennial generation has been blamed for causing the demise of many an industry, but the diamond market is one that can make this claim with some confidence. Oh, boo-hoo. So sad. Compared with previous generations, millennials have a very different relationship to both money and marriage. Yeah, they don't respect either thing. <laughs> uh, right. To, I, th- I speak for myself here. Money has never been something I've been good with. Uh, anyway, to, not that I'm bad with that. There's always enough. But as far as like, you know, in investing and making my money grow and not just keeping keeping up uh, paycheck to paycheck type of life, it's been tough. So anyway, um, lab grown diamonds, right? At the end, it says, after six years of consulting with the industry, the U.S. Federal Trade Commission, FTC, made a number of changes to its jewelry guidelines, including expanding its definition of diamond to include synthetic diamonds grown in a lab. The reason why I want to point this out and make it important is because what? why is there someone that gets to decide the definition of what something is? <laughs> you know, like this is the same thing that we're going to look at when we get into the changing standards from bimetallism to a gold standard and the crime of 1873. We're going to get into that later. We're at the hour point and uh, good news, everyone. I'm not going to cut this for the free hour like I normally do. I think this is just so important. I want to just keep it going. I don't want to interrupt you guys in the middle of this. There's a lot of ground to cover. So we're just going to roll through it. But uh, the next slide, Dylan, I'm going to go straight into Virtual unreality versus natural value. I got something to say about that, though. Can I? Oh, can please, I yeah, to... jump, jump in. So, the thing is, the reason gemstones don't make good currency is because any of those nicely crafted diamonds gets a scratch on it. It's then you know, it loses its value. Likewise, you can uh, crumble it. You can break it. Right? It's you can crack it off. I mean, shit. How many people in this audience have had a crystal? that falls off like a windowsill and then breaks apart and you're like, ah, oh, fuck, that was my favorite crystal, <laughs> you know? So basically yeah, this used this to be, my, this used to be one crystal, but there's only half of it. The other half, it fell off of something. It broke straight in half down the middle. So this is only half of the original one, but it's a good point. I just wanted to show off my giant piece of selenite. Yeah, it's awesome. And uh, it, it, it just, so that's why gemstones don't really work. 
again, anybody who thinks gold is not valuable, do yourself a favor, go get yourself an ounce, put your money where your mouth is, and you film yourself destroying an ounce of gold and upload it to YouTube, send it to me. I'm very easy to find. I will share it. If you can successfully destroy an ounce of gold and actually get rid of the gold, make the gold go away somehow, you'll be a very rich person because you just figured out something that nobody can do. I mean, you might be able to create some sort of acid that eats it away and dissolves it, but you're not going to destroy it through conventional means. And the thing about gold and silver is you could drop them to the bottom of the ocean. You could bury them. It doesn't matter where you put them. You go back thousands of years later and they're still going to be there. Yeah, that's a super important point. Uh, even the fact that uh, a dollar, what it can buy, changes from year to year. So its value changes, but these metals are valued. But a dollar, it's a, a, I gotta you know, stop ounce you. is an ounce, no matter how long time flows on. But a dollar is still determined. Is if you look up the actual definition of a dollar, it's still defined in terms of fine silver. I think it's like 374 grains and four sixteenth parts. It's not defined in fiat. The dollar so what we're using now is not even a dollar anymore. It's not even a dollar. So this is why the verbiage is so important is because they've literally kept using the same words so that the masses don't really realize what's going on. Because if you know that a dollar is an ounce of silver and not this fiat trash, you're not going to be calling the fiat trash US dollars, but that's what we do because that's what the media does. And that's what the financial institutions do. And it creates this uh, brainwashing. It's mind control, literal. I'm not even like exaggerating. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you there. Um, going to move into this next slide. There's a lot of points on it. Uh, virtual unreality versus natural value. These are my thoughts on the subject. Nature doesn't have a price tag inherently. This is important because... Even with gold, what it's worth is still based on what people decide it's worth and what they're willing to trade it for. But this is not necessarily a bad thing. Uh, I'm going to get to that. First of all, though, nature doesn't have a price tag. So everything is inherently priced less. It is what it is. Its function in nature is the determination of its value, whether or not it has any benefit to, to a life or not is the value, essentially. What we've done through word magic is, is one of the ways this has happened is we've turned source into resource. And this is a big deal because nature is source in this conceptualization. It's the reality. It's what is. And we've taken pieces of it, chunks of it in the past, chunked them away, cut down a tree, dug up some ore, whatever. And now we attach the word re or ray before it, which that has its own connotations in an occult sense. But now it's this magical thing called a resource and people live in the word and not in the reality. Same with the same way that currency works. So because artificial value systems are fictional, conceptual and imaginary, but nature is priceless and the value is based on what it can do for life. These are pretty opposing systems. Modern commerce is life or nature seen as a game with disposable, exploitable parts instead of a living whole. A more natural version of commerce, maybe what you would even call similar to bartering, would be what is this thing that I'm trading worth to me now in this moment based on what I need and what the other has an abundance of. So there's a natural flow of, of uh, nature energy between 
human beings and between even other types of organisms that live in community-based structures. What I have more of that you need, I'll give to you. And what you have more of that I could use, you'll give to me. And that's where the value lies, is in the need and how it helps life. And so much of what is valued in our current society, I mean, just listen to what Bill Hicks says about people in the advertising business. <laughs> he tells them to go go ahead and go off themselves because they're Satan's little helpers. And in a way, that's true. There's like my every day I go check my mailbox and there's junk mail that I've got to just throw away. And it's someone's job to make that and make sure it goes out and goes to where they want it to go. And like just probably a wild guess here, 70% of what is done in our modern economy could just be eliminated and life would go on actually more smoothly, not less. Yeah, but just even in that example, the reason they do that is because let's say you send out 100 mailers and 10 of them work. They've got the numbers and the percentages down to a science. So that's why it's worth it to them. So for you, you don't see how they're making a profit doing that because you're just like, God, I'm sick of this fucking junk mail. But when they're sending out thousands and thousands of them and, and all of a sudden they're getting hundreds and hundreds of sales from it, that's why they do it because the profit they're getting from the products they're selling far exceeds the marketing expenses. And that's why um, you know they do that. But just to really touch on the more important things you were talking about, the problem with what you just said is it's a very naive way to look at the world. And this is where things like money actually come into use because let's say you're the best fucking farmer, uh, you know, east of the Mississippi, right? It doesn't matter because your goods are going to go bad. Like once you pick a fruit or a veggie, it starts dying. So you've got like a couple of days to really enjoy the, the nutrients and that spoils. So let's say you need a cord of wood and I cut trees down and I can give you that cord of wood, but all you have is vegetables. But the problem is, is I'm like a week's journey away from you. By the time I get that uh, wood to you and then take your vegetables and fruits and go back to my place, they've already expired. So I'm not going to want to do that. So in order to entice someone like me to get what you need, which is wood to keep your stove going for the winter, well, you're going to need another alternative. And that's where money comes into its real use and creates helps create civilization because someone can store a value. You, I can say, you know what? I don't have anything that won't spoil, that can pay you for the labors, the fruits of your labor, but I do have this unit of currency or money or whatever, and that'll keep its value. And if you, if you agree to those terms, then you, you know, you have yourself some money. And that's really like, when you look at this whole system, the real reason the system's so corrupt is that it's not competitive at all. They're telling us what we can use to buy and sell. That's my issue. Like I think you, if you want to trade and buy in cryptocurrency, fuck yeah. You wanna you wanna trade and barter, awesome. You wanna just stick with gold and silver, awesome. You wanna use fiat that loses its value and in, through inflation, by all means. Freedom. People need to literally experience the consequences of their behavior. And this problem with this system is it doesn't let them do that. And then it creates a society of like absolute, uh, just degenerate, detached from a reality dunces that don't know the value of anything because they don't do anything that produces value. Agreed, agreed. And uh, even from the top there, I do agree that that's the reason why like metals are useful medium of exchange. Definitely not against that. 
And we can become naive when we make everything a little too black and white. And that slide might have come across that way. But actually, I just want people to know or look at things under the lens of like what is what nature is doing and then what our conceptions are doing. Right. Because the, then we can improve our improve our conceptual systems, if you will, potentially, or revert them to something more close to nature. I'm going to slide us into the Templar origins of banking. We don't have to spend a lot of time here, but this is something that is maybe known, maybe not well known. Templar. Is, is hold on, isn't it real interesting though? Like going back to where you're talking about the diamonds, how the De Beers, that diamond trade comes from Rhodes, Cecil Rhodes. That's where all the Rhodes scholars are at Oxford. And uh, Rhodes comes from the Greek Rhodos, right? Roses, road, the sea. And so when you get back into currency, banking, uh, you know, the religious symbolism involved that I don't know if we can go over that here because people might just crack. And I'm going to do that on Crow soon. <laughs> the Merchants, the Customers, the Marquette. Those are indeed. Those are some of the words that you can learn more about in Dylan's second book, Blackest of All Magic. But we'll, we'll give you one. <laughs> Mer. Mer is a word referring to the sea. Mer, Mar, Mary, Maritime, and uh, even commercial codes that rule commerce today are all maritime law based according to some researchers and were least in their origins. But the Templar origins And that banking, comes from Rhodian. That comes from Rhodian sea law. Before it was maritime, when it was the Greek Empire, it was Rhodian. Because Rhode is the sea. Wife of Helios or Helios. It isn't Crow in Rhode Island. Is that true? <laughs> I think yeah. so. And so I was the one that uh, told him that because I grew up there too. In the middle of Rhode Island is Rose Island. Get it? Rhode, Rose, Rhodos. All under the That's rose. why it's the ocean state. It's the ocean state. That's awesome. Yeah, we, the, the word magic that people could learn from your books is just that's what's raising the IQ. I might not have made that point well, but you're seeing it from a left and right brain side together, not just what the societal conceptualization of the word is, but the Templar origins of banking to touch on this, there was a time called the crusades where in Europe, the Christian forces were going to the middle East. There's a lot of back and forth, but this is all according to the historical narrative. So could all be totally off as well because we're getting this historical narrative from all the same source at the at a certain bottleneck which is the vatican and that's uh its own set of problems but the idea was that the templars came up with the idea of banking they were these warrior monks if you will and they had all kinds of wacky religious beliefs that are still seeding many secret societies today and that'll there's more on that later but the idea was that because they were warriors, they could protect people's money and keep it in these banks or fortresses and a bank of a river to go back to the uh, the water imagery. But they keep it in these banks so that people on long journeys can cash in their their currency or their, their real money at one bank and then get more of it when they get to their destination. That way they're not traveling and potentially vulnerable to losing it all, which is a serious danger. Or maybe it's too much wealth to easily transport without being conspicuous. So all these sound like positive ideas, maybe a good idea to have this concept of a bank, 
But where did it go from there, Dylan? Do you think you can pick up on this story? I mean, at, 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 your, at yeah. your will, like it doesn't have to be anything specific. I mean, I'm not like a scholar on this. I've never been to any of these regions to look at this in the actual world. So I'm not the best person to talk about this, but the general consensus is that um, the, the Templars during the Crusades, well, first of all, the, the Templars were the portion of the clergy that specialized in judgment. And that's why you see like the Templar influence on everything. So when you look at like, we, you know, people always talk about like common law and all this bullshit, but common law had lawyers. We don't have lawyers. We have bar licensed attorneys who swear fealty to the temple bar in the city of London, the one mile square city state, not to be confused with actual London, but the legal fiction that's comparable to v, uh, Washington DC or, um, Vatican City. It's not a physical place. It's a city state. And so that where the temple bar is at the inn's court. And then uh, so like all the corporations are owned by the crown temple, which was established by the church in 1855. So the even like from the very get go, you have the Templars who are basically kind of like the strong arms for the, the church. You can say that they're all oh, the poor uh, soldiers of Christ or whatever. And that might be the, you know, the way you influence some of the people to get to join. But there's always going to be a nefarious end because uh, they didn't just conquer over 800 castles and turn them into banks because it looks good, right? That's why Jerusalem and that part of the world is so important is because it's like a central point for trade. So if you want access to Asia um, you name it, Africa, that's where you want to be. You want to have control over that. That's why that region is so important. It's not because of any religious notion. And so when they conquered all those castles and turned them basically into banks, that's where the first checking system is derived. So you as a traveler could cash in your precious items at the beginning of your journey, whether that's gold, gems, you name it, spices, whatever. And they would give you a check with the bill of goods or whatever, you know, the manifest. And then at the end of your journey, not only would they protect you along your way, but at the end of the journey, you could give them that piece of paper back or that check. And then they would give you your wealth back at a different portion of the, the journey. And so that would keep you safe from the highwaymen. Whereas if you were to just make that journey on your own, you would be ransacked. You know, you probably wouldn't even make it with your life, let alone your goods. Yeah, man. And highwaymen, a lot of times in the past, were actually working for the king or whoever was the lord of that little region. He let them do their thing and didn't send anyone over to bust their skulls as long as they gave tribute on the what they're collecting. They were called highwaymen back then. It's all then. the mob. Now we have highway patrolmen. So exactly, it's, a, it's the mob because it's a protection <laughs> racket to protect that. you from their own people. Yeah, highway patrolmen, highwaymen, same shit. That's brilliant. Oh man, when you I figured that book, one out. <laughs> yeah, but okay, so just to drive the point home, and we'll get a little bit more of the transition between the first checking systems and fiat, but let's just drive the point home about fiat right here. Latin from FIO, let it be done, a decree, a command to do something. 
And who's always on the, the cover of these uh, fiat currencies? It's always the dead president, usually. I guess maybe, is that a, the queen that's still alive? I don't know. Yeah, Queen Elizabeth, She she's like the one that's breaking all the molds, huh? Yeah, I guess, the living queen on the fiat. But the all those lead to the crown, that's for sure. And the, even the word fiat should tell you a lot. It's just um, something out of nothing, ex nihilo. Yep, it's just... Uh... It's again, it's in the slavery system. It's, it's, it's not competitive. It's like you, like you see in the definition, it's by decree. It's awful. It's some, someone else who thinks that because they have a monopoly on violence and a, a system that will go anywhere in the world to fuck with you if you violate their terms, it's them saying, these are my whims. I want you to do this. And if you don't, we're going to come over there and fucking kick your ass until you do give in. And then uh, if you're lucky, we'll let you, you know, we'll, we'll set up a government for you so you can, you know, have your safety and get used to all the modern amenities. But you're going to export all your commodities and the things that are most valuable to your region to us. Cheap. You understand? And if you don't like it, well, why don't you look at... Uh, Gaddafi getting raped with bayonets in the street of his own country. You want to end like that? Most people are going to say, oh, shit, hell no. Get, yeah, whatever you want. Because you're dealing with violence. You're dealing with psychopathic trash. And um, the masses put up with it. So go, oh, I know what I was going to say. Back to like that diamond and shit. Don't blame the De Beers. Don't blame all these fucking creepy families. You are the one who are buying those diamonds for your wife. You. Don't blame your problems on them because you're the fucking problem. And that's where people need to start looking is right in the fucking mirror because all of our problems start and stop with us. And that's what I'm getting upset about with my own countrymen. It's like you guys are blaming everybody else but yourselves. You're the one jerking off the fucking porn, siphoning your life uh, force away every fucking day. You're the one eating fast food. You're the one who doesn't have, you don't provide for yourself in any way, but then you're blaming everybody else for your problems. You're choosing to take their drugs. You're choosing to take their loans. No one's forcing you. And when you get through that dark work, you, it's, it sucks because it's, you have to face what hypocrites we all are, myself included, but that's where the path begins to then, oh, this is in my control. I can actually stop this. I don't have to participate. I don't have to watch their porn. I don't have to take their loans. I don't have to eat their food. I can do things on my own. And that's where the path to sovereignty really ramps up and you start becoming more um, sovereign, you know, above rulership. And when that happens, that activates a part of your energy system, at least in my experience, like people believe what you want, but that crown system, that upper chakra, if you want to conceptualize it that way, self-sovereignty what it leads to in the external world is freedom and what freedom will look like is that i kind of compare it to the crown chakra being active and strong i compare it to having like the uh, coach that's at the top of the bleachers during a football game who's got a walkie-talkie that and telling the quarterback the plays he doesn't know why he's being told to do what play but there's like something in in the higher mind that's just giving you the idea to go somewhere that puts you in the right time at the right place for stuff to go your, your way. And that's not a guarantee. There's always going to be challenges in life, but the important point is that with debt and with, which is what is destroying everything. Debt is death. Really. It's all, we all take it on by choice. Right. And 
fiat, if it hasn't been made clear to everybody, the way that money is created in our system is in fiat is that when someone takes out a loan or borrows money, the money is invented out of thin air on the books and then put in the person's account with no actual reality behind it. And now that individual owns owes that much money plus interest to whoever he got the loan from. So everyone who ever took out a loan to get ahead in their life and, and fast forward to a part that maybe they're not ready for yet, responsibility maybe they don't have the energy for yet, they're actually screwing over everyone else by raising the inflation threshold just that much further. Every loan that comes out, more money in the pot. It's a game of musical chairs. There's never enough money to pay back all the debts. As Dylan said, everything would collapse if that was possible. It wouldn't, there wouldn't be anything going anymore. So let's go into here real quick, the definition of debt. That which is due from one person to another, whether money, goods, or services, that which one person is bound to pay or perform to another as the debts of a bankrupt to the debts of a nobleman. It is a common misfortune or vice to be in debt. And here's the crucial one. When you run in debt, you give to another power over your liberty. And then in scripture, it's, sure leave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in scripture, it's a sin, trespass, guilt, crime, that which renders liable to punishment. That which anyone is obliged to do or to suffer. I mean, right there, that's. This is what everything is running off of, is this definition. And that is why we see the problems we have in the world as people that are willing to make that, to sacrifice everybody else to get their loan, not even necessarily knowing that that's what they're doing, that we just keep creating more money and there's going to be more homeless people. There's not, there's not homeless people because there's empty ho- there aren't empty houses. There's not homeless people because there's not enough resources in the world to take care of everyone or enough nature in the world for everyone to exist in. It's because we play musical chairs and we allow the people that know how when the music is going to stop to uh, to rig the game against other people. And as long as we know enough about the game to at least get our chair, we don't do anything different. Yeah, and, and we're all to a degree guilty of that because at the end of the day, life is a very individual experience. Like even though we're all here sharing this world and this co-created kind of experience and what we do affects and impacts others around us to a degree, it's still a very individual private experience. And you can't, if you sit there worrying about all the woes in the world, you'll never actually achieve the successes or the greatness of your own life. And so it's kind of like, paradoxical in that nature. So rather than like defining what must be done and what you have to just try to live your life in a way that causes the least amount of harm to others. That's the best, probably the best route you can go when you can help somebody help them, but don't feel like you have to, if it's going to, you know, hurt you, unless you really feel compelled to do it, there's no, you don't have to, you know, and, and, um, the debt, the problem with all of it is that they force us to use these notes. We can't, we can't go to a local grocery store. They have literally made gold and silver not legal tender. Some states are starting to get back into it, but it's not enough where like the, the markets are so rigged and uh, it's to a point where it wouldn't make sense to use silver or gold to pay for anything right now because in relation to their purchasing power 
and the value of, of the debt and how much debt is out there, they're worthless at this point. So you don't want to hold on to them. They're more like financial life insurance. That's why like people are frustrated with them because they wanted to look at gold and silver like cryptocurrency and they're like pissed that why isn't my gold and silver going up like Tesla stock? You know, well, because it's just money. It's it's financial life insurance. It it's what keeps you rich if there's a crisis. Everything else, you know, things like cryptocurrency stocks, that's speculation unless it's a dividend paying stock and it pays you to own it. But the majority of one's wealth ought to be in my opinion in things that pay them to own it, whether that's real estate, whether that's dividend paying stocks, however you want to, whatever's paying you to have it, that's what makes sense. And then, you know, 10% of your portfolio should be in life insurance, in my opinion, which would be gold and so, or gold. And then 10% should be in speculation, which is like something like silver or a cryptocurrency. That way you're never burned, you know? And the problem is, is most people don't have that disciplined mindset. They just want to like, they're at like a poker game and they're like, Oh fuck, I got pocket eights. Oh fuck, I'm all in. Fuck all of you. And like someone's like calling you with like Jack 10 off suit and they win because it's an easy hand to beat, you know? Yeah, and the person's used to always having a way worse hand. So just like the slightly, the slight advantage, they're ready to go gamble in the casino once again because that's how we're evolving trained. And I think that the uh, casinification is a real, a real thing. And it's, in a, in a way, it's like, would you, if it was your actual life force, like if the gamble you were making was Russian roulette, literally, would you play it then? Because that's what actually, what currency is in a sense representing is your life force energy, the time, you know, you're cutting short your life, the more that you put yourself in debt in a sense, because that's how much more time you have to trade to pay for it. So there's a... <laughs> It, because it's all begun into the realm of conceptual and you got so separated from real life, it's easy to forget that when you, you know, you make $20 an hour and you, you buy a, a ticket to a Hollywood mind control movie and it costs you 15, not only did you spend the two hours of your life in the movie, but then almost an entire additional hour of making the money to go over there and do that. You know, whereas like going outside and hanging out at the park, you can do for free you're gaining time, you're gaining freedom in a sense, but we're going to move into, I'm going to try to keep us going through these slides. We've got about 10 more. I think we can do it, but I want to talk about some of the, uh, some more of the interesting crypto word things about crypto. And so first of all, for those who don't haven't heard all this mythology yet, cryptocurrency was uh, supposedly invented by a mysterious individual named Satoshi Nakamoto. And I ba I can back this up. I looked into this. I've learned this from one of Dylan's uh, posts on Instagram. But Satoshi is a name given for baby boys, which means clear thinking, quick witted and wise. While Nakamoto is a Japanese surname, which means central origin or one who lives in the middle or just the middle. So you put those things together, you have central intelligence. <laughs> I thought that that was a pretty on the nose one personally. And what I know about some of the people involved with um, these things, they're all connected to that stuff. Like for real, it's, it's not a joke. A lot of the people that are involved with these things, whether it's indirectly or not, or just straight up members of it, 
it's all coming from those centralized powers. Like this thing, <laughs> there's a reason that cryptocurrency, if you're into analytics and you've been on Twitter, like over the last like 10 years, nothing has like enabled you to trend and get more followers than if you talked about cryptocurrency. Yeah, that's not, that's all t- totally artificial. What is going to trend and what isn't if it wasn't clear to everybody yet about that. Bitcoin and- has its own hashtag, people. It has like its own hashtag with a little Bitcoin emoji on Twitter, which censors everybody that speaks the truth. So what do you think's going on, you know? And we're I'm only going to break down just one logo of one coin, but we're going to look at that perspective too, the symbolism around some of these coins. This is not... You don't have to agree with this interpretation. It could be wrong, actually. But there are other coins with other logos that you might also derive a deeper interpretation out of the meaning, the name of the coin or the, the uh, God, Dogecoin, for example. Doge backwards is E-God. Thanks, Elon Musk. I learned that from reading your super crazy tweets. That's the most insane Twitter account that I've seen in a long time. But... <laughs> Isn't it dog e coin? I thought it was like dog e coin because they have like a dog as the logo. Yeah, it's called Doge. They call the dog a Doge. So, oh, that's weird. So it's called Doge coin. It's some you know weird. Uh, no offense, basement neck beards, but it's a weird basement neck beard humor type of meme. <laughs> so we're gonna look at just one of these. I I'm positive if people looked at other coins, they'd find more occult symbolism in logos. Just do it yourself. It's not. I don't want to be the one that tells you what every logo means and everything that you see. I'm just going to use this as an example because I personally think this is a good example. But maybe you don't. I don't care. If you don't, that's cool too. But Steemit. Steemit is an online social media platform. And I tried to get in on that when it was new just as a way to see if I could reach people with my show on an alternative platform. It never worked well. It was just whale dominated, as they say. The uh, original investors in it just had all the coin and can decide what does and doesn't do well on the network based on how it worked. So steam it, the logo you see it on the bottom left, that was the original logo. I think they may have shifted away from it. You look at that in comparison to the Hebrew character for six or vow vow. And uh, it looks kind of similar. Maybe you don't agree that it's completely similar to me. It is reminiscent of the monster uh, energy drink logo, which is even more like the Hebrew character for six now, the original meaning of steam, S-T-E-E-M, is an obsolete word meaning value. Or it could also mean a gleam of light, a flame. It could also be used as a verb, as in esteem, like as in valuing something. Uh, so there you go, a gleam of light, a flame. To me, that's a, a little bit of a sort of an inverted Luciferian nudge, especially with the 666 potentially in the logo but you know do with that do with that what you will i don't need you to believe that that's what it means but the fact is you even if it's just synchromistic the fact that that pattern was discernible by somebody somewhere means that it might have some deeper meaning in terms of sort of cosmic fractality (laughs) back to dylan well i could have i could have sworn that the original uh Steam it logo was actually the shin. I feel like they, they changed oh, it, that yeah, up. It, but was whatever. Befo- it was before that. I don't even know. Honestly, for me, it's like this, this, this is where we get into speculation because neither of us know who created the logo. 
And I think it's fun to speculate maybe in private, but in the public forum, it doesn't really do anybody a service for us, you know, because the problem with people with high IQs is sometimes we see shit that uh, is not meant to be that way. But because our pattern recognition and, you know, for people who aren't aware, like high, having a high IQ doesn't mean you're smart. It just means you have exceptional pattern recognition skills. And in my opinion, that's something that can be honed. It's actually a skill set. Um, it doesn't mean you're, you're, you know, you're better than anybody else. But I think you see a lot of this in the truth community or whatever they're called, uh, whether it's like in Gamatria or anything else, symbolism, the, those quote unquote weaponized autists, you know, well, look at how foolish they made themselves look for four years trusting the plan. Oh, we're going to go fucking get John Podesta and Hillary Clinton. Fucking stop all the pedophiles. Meanwhile, they're still jerking off to fucking human trafficking porn every day. And, you know, I'm posting fire memes on fucking Facebook, bro. I'm stopping the deep state, you know? It's like, just, we got to just stop. If we don't have the goods, we shouldn't be talking about it, in my opinion. Yeah, that's a good point, man. And even just the fact that you made that distinction for us makes it worthwhile to have had that slide, in my opinion. Because, yeah, we can go too crazy with pattern recognition, but I do want people to practice on their own and speculate in, in the realm of pattern recognition because there is plenty of gold to be mined there. But we'll move forward to another a new trend in crypto that I will admit I don't know a lot about. But to me, just on the nose of it, it seems, or on the face of it, it seems really insane and um, unsustainable. And here it is. Non-fungible tokens. NFTs. I swear, every five minutes until I turned it off, my Clubhouse app was popping up with, these people are all in a room talking about NFTs. And I was like, what's that? And then I realized what it was. Non-fungible tokens are the latest cryptocurrency phenomenon to go mainstream. This is from CNN. And after Christie's Auction House sold the first ever NFT artwork, a collage of images by digital artist Beeple, for a whopping $69.3 million last week, NFTs have captured the world's attention. In the simplest terms, NFTs dis transform digital works of art and other collectibles into one-of-a-kind verifiable assets. There you go. <laughs> that are easy to trade on the blockchain. Although that may be far from simple for the uninitiated to understand, the payoff has been huge for many artists, musicians, influencers, and the like. I wonder who's doing really well on these, huh? wonder which artists are really getting the millions of dollars out of this. Are they like, <laughs> who are they associating with, right? Look into that. Investors are spending top dollar to own NFT versions of digital images. This is so stupid. Jack Dorsey's first tweet is now bidding for $2.5 million. A video clip of LeBron James slam dunking sold for over $200,000. Seriously. And a decade old Nyan Cat gif went for $600,000. So uh, I, I put that image on the left there because I think I, I meant for it to be reversed. Like the, <laughs> basically we're going from the bottom up to the top image, not the other way around like the meme normally goes. I think this is getting more backwards and uh, more insane. I don't know what you think but about NFTs. I just see this as an incredible opportunity for people who don't want to be in the race to the bottom to actually go back to making real artwork and just like – you know, like sell a painting, you know, sell, go back to having a physical album. I think all of this arises with the digitalization of everything, you know, where it's like everybody, 
this really all started with Napster and everybody stopped paying artists for their content and then just stealing everything online. And then it gets even worse because, you know, now all these countries like China, like I made the mistake of making one of my first books for free, uh, for like, just like a free, uh, like free on Amazon or whatever for like a promotion. But it turned out that like, when you do that, people can download it and like convert it into PDF files or whatever they're also doing. They're giving away. I mean, it's getting like 40,000 downloads in Russia and shit. And I'm like, Oh my God, all this money or this currency I could have had, I could have been like, you know, buying up assets that I wanted to buy up or whatever. And it's just like, I, I understand why people try to control this because it's like, the system is like ripping them off too. And now they're like, well, how can we protect ourselves and create something where all of our art, like in order to listen to our music or share our music, you have to own a percentage of this NFT, you know, or you can't share this meme because you don't, you never paid any of the NFT percentages or whatever the fuck they're going to do. I don't know. It just seems like it's a, it's, we are at that moment where the path is splitting off. And you can go further into the video game world if you want, or you can step out of that and go back to reality. Who's more susceptible to nature? The person who knows how to live in nature and deal with the seasons and the weather, or the person who's stuck in a fucking video game with a headset on, you know, jerking off all day. I'm fucking trading these wicked NFT tokens, bro. Uh, God, I just made like $50,000. Oh, fuck. Yeah, I don't even have to have a job now. I can watch even more porn and play even more video games. <laughs> That's yeah, what they I'm do. Yeah, I'm fucking... Reminds me of... Uh, remember, remember Napoleon Dynamite when Kip's like, Napoleon, you're just jealous that I've been online chatting with hot babes all day. Yeah, conceptually chatting with babes, but, you know, probably someone else just like him on the other side of the screen. <laughs> it's like a fucking dude, yeah. Catfishing him. Yeah, okay, Bro, this has been amazing. I'm going to move into another little bit of word magic, though, because I think that we're on track to like kind of wrap up in the two hour vicinity, which is my goal. I don't want to make this like something that's so unwieldy for well, people to go through. If you, yeah, but if you want to if you want to go through it and just, you know, do it, I'm not in a time crunch. So I'm always one of those people that's like, let's do it right rather than do it half assed. Oh, yeah, we will. But I think that I think we can do it right and still make pretty close to that goal. So we're going to pull up uh, some more definitions in a second, but here's one I want people to in the chat, someone in the chat or maybe everyone in the chat, please go to Google, regular old Google and type in the words crypto definition. And then somebody in the chat, please, when they find that answer, go ahead and put it in there and we'll get to that because uh, it's amazing. <laughs> Anyway, uh, I'm just going to um, get a glass of water. So hold it down. I'll be right back. I'm going to hold it down. Yeah, we'll hold it down for a minute while he's getting a glass of water. Thank you guys for being in here in this live stream. I hope you're enjoying getting a longer show. If you normally listen to my show for free and only get the first hour, you know, it is tough because I don't want to like charge people money for content that I think could help them or, or whatever. But I also need a way that energy can reciprocate back to me. In fact, last episode I put out just a couple days ago with Michael Tesserion, which I think is an amazing episode. I've never had more hateful comments in my life than I had on that. And I think it has to do with the fact that he's maybe well-known or old school or something. But comment after comment, I had to delete because people were like, 
How dare you put Michael behind your paywall? You are exploiting his time. You're so this, you're so that. And like, even <laughs> I think the one guy that was like actually trying to say that he was cursing me or something crazy, black magicking me, he was more upset because I was uh, refuting Gnosticism than he was about the actual content being behind a paywall. But my point is, you know, I don't want to monopolize or steal other people's time. That's why I don't do advertising. I don't want to hold your attention hostage just for the uh, few shekels I could get from whatever product that I've become a shill for. Not that all products are bad or that everyone that does advertising is wrong. It's just not my thing. It's not how I want to do I, it. You need to get out of this mindset of feeling bad about it. Yeah, you're, pro you're probably you to, right. You need to fucking get some fucking exchange for the energy you're putting into. Ain't nothing in this world for free. If you want free, get your fucking useless eater ass out of our chat. That's how I say it. You know, stop feeling sorry for getting compensated for all the research and the time and all the good shows that you're delivering to people. Fuck yeah, that, dude. Right. Don't ever, you got to get out of that, man. Well, okay, I'm but sorry. the thing is, I still Whatever. don't like the idea of holding someone's attention hostage with like a, a you know, your traditional type of ad. But in, Listen, I. They don't have to be here. Anybody who does it, anybody who's got a problem with somebody making a living doing something they love, get your ass down the road. This is the wrong watering hole for you. Commie <laughs> trash. Oh, well, speaking of that, this is a good segue. Uh, <laughs> By the way, if you do want to support me, you can do it on Patreon or Rockfin or check on uh, any of my past shows to look at the bottom of the links of ways to support Interverse. You can even send me like a PayPal donation. It'd be awesome. There are really good shows out there for the second hour for people. I highly recommend the Rockfin route because you get other things for that money. And Rockfin, ironically, it pays me in crypto, so it's forced me to get into that as a exchange, but I'm not planning on keeping my wealth in that. And we'll see how it goes. It's kind of a no lose because I'm providing a digital product. I'm not actually giving up anything physical. So I'll go play in that realm and see how it goes. But B. Oliver, put this in the uh, chat for us. Crypto, similarly from Miriam Webster. Okay. A person who adheres or belongs secretly to a party, sect, or other group. Okay, there it is. And on my definition, it says, especially what I got from Google, maybe it gives you different answers for different people is a person having a secret allegiance to a political creed. So it's the same thing, especially communism. Uh-oh. <laughs> Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Yeah. So there's that. Now we're going to go a little further into some more word magic. Uh, I got a slide here. First of all, let's define hell, the place or state of punishment for the wicked after death, or it should be after debt, a dungeon or a prison. So actually, when you didn't pay your taxes to the king back in feudal days, they'd throw you in what they call debtor's hell, right? Now, a dungeon in our prison is underground. Let's read the word crypt. To hide a subterranean cell or cave, especially under a church for the interment of persons, the dead. Also a subterranean chapel or oratory and the grave of a martyr. So... And just these three words, crypto in the modern definition, hell and crypt... It doesn't really have a good feel to it that this is this uh even well let's call it its other name blockchain. Okay, that's it's a hidden. It's hidden because crypto is also hidden too. Exactly, so it's like a hidden hell, a hidden. That's why I call it in my books the crypt of currency. Yeah, and I mean it's a hidden in the sense that it, you can't go see it with your eyes in the world anywhere, only through some artificial screen too. So that's uh. These Man, words this is have like meaning. real magic. This is real sorcery. People don't realize like this is actually fucking brilliant. And if you're not emotionally attached to it, you're getting like a freaking 
first class education on how to fucking take over. Yeah, that's so true. And why I also think it's just really silly to think that this is the time in history where we're going to create this alternate currency system. We're going to get away from the centralized powers. They're going to have no impact on it or influence over it because every time there's been a big change over in how currency works and there's more slides on this coming up, uh, it's always been to the benefit of the very same families. Let's pull up this slide. This one should be in everybody's you know, notebook to share with people that are naysayers. Let me issue and control a nation's money, and I care not who writes the laws. Well, who's got the most of any particular currency is also of the controller of it. And in my opinion, no, no type of cryptocurrency is immune from this one simple fact that somebody that's got a shitload of fiat could buy up and control a lot of that coin. And people will say, oh, no, but it's all on the ledger. We can see who has it all. Really, though? You think they're, they wouldn't have the capacity to split it up in different accounts and do the same type of shell games as they do with their current banking system and the current way that they move money around? It's so silly to think that this one medium of exchange, when it's all accessible digitally from any point on the earth, if you have an internet connection, would not be subject to the same families that have the real world wealth to then do whatever they want in these speculative imaginary monopoly games. Well, you also, I think touched on something that's like, if, if they didn't want this to become the mania that it is like tulip mania from the, I believe it was the 17th century. If everyone wants to look up, uh, uh, the, the tulip craze that went, down in uh, the Netherlands, people were paying, I mean, crypto isn't even as bad as tulip mania. Uh, people were paying for certain tulip bulbs, like 10 to 15 yearly salaries of a skilled uh, tradesman. So going back to the cryptocurrency and what Chance just said, if it were a threat, first of all, it's not a threat because it's only like a trillion dollar market cap, something like that. If you look at like the global or worldwide debt, whatever you're comfortable with. Um, it's nothing. Gold would have to be, or crypto would have to be worth so much more to be a threat. And if it were something that they wanted to take control over, they would just buy it up legally. Buy up all the, they would just buy it all up. Crypto would go up to whatever, how many, how much crazy wealth it's worth. And then the bankers would all own it because there's not anybody who would be unwilling to sell their crypto for the right price because then they're like, Oh, I can cash out of the game. I don't care if JP Morgan just cornered the whole market, you know? So they're allowing it to happen because they need to get you used to all these digital currencies. Cause they're only going to have one shot at this new world order system. If it doesn't work, humanity has a real chance now to get back in business to decentralizing and getting off of all this centralized trashy governance, centralized, trashy banking, all of this stuff, you know, because the problem with the nation that has the world reserve currency is the people who live in that nation get fucked the hardest. Yeah, our standard of living is a lot better than a lot of third world nations, but we have to spend our whole lives working for shit that we'll never own just so we can survive and our savings loses 
purchasing power every year due to the nature of the um, the need to satisfy the worldwide demand, the increasing worldwide demand in population uh, for re our reserve currency. And it's like, how do you how do you satisfy the worldwide need for your currency if you're the reserve currency without destroying the purchasing power through some sort of inflation? You can't do it. And this goes back to the the Triffin dilemma. So I want to point out the name of this guy. If people don't know of the Rothschild family, it's pretty like conspiracy theory 101, but I want this to be accessible to new people on the subject too. So Rothschild is uh, one of these old families, and let me just show you some evidence real quick. All right. Rothschild means red shield. Knights of Malta, Roman Catholic military order, headquarters, Jerusalem, Rhodes, Burgu, Valletta, Rome, right? Look at that shield. I'm going to zoom us back to slide 11. And it's the Templars. Same exact symbol. So if you think that it's not the same interests controlling this entire progression from the first banks all and the before that, the, the minting of coins, the stamping of Caesar's head on it and whatever, I think that you're just not paying attention if you don't think that this... If you would think that the crypto could be immune to being a part of this larger progression, to me, that's just asinine. Because there it is, Rothschild. Yeah, their Red original Shield. name was Bauer. The original name was Bauer, too. So they changed that when they became um, – they, so they, they originally started off, I think they were like gold uh, and like gemstones – like traders for the royal family families because I guess the you know the royal families it was like illegal for them to engage in usury and all this other stuff and they slowly worked their good graces in into the royal families became um, the patriarch became like a really uh, respected investor right but they also like did the banking for the Vatican and so what you didn't show on that side is that you got to look to the shield of the Roman legionnaire. And that's how far back that red shield symbolism actually goes. Yeah, that we know of. <laughs> Could be even further. Who knows how long this has been going on or if there's been but resets. They're the or banking what. arm, you know? They're the banking arm for that. And so a lot of these people with power, well, if they ever stop doing playing their role in the system, they'll get off same as the other one. There's going to be millions of people willing to step in and fill that role. That's why taking one person out, taking any group of people out, it doesn't really work because us as a species, as a culture, as a society, and every country around the world, we don't have the spiritual fortitude to say no and walk away. That's why I try to always harken back to like, don't blame them. They are providing a service because we create a demand for what they provide. And if we didn't provide that demand, they wouldn't have a service to enslave us with. They wouldn't be able to serve us ice, <laughs> put us on ice. Serve ice, yeah. Yeah, which is another way of saying to retard us because retard means to, to thwart or slow down forward progress. That's what all these serve ices do because everything that a big corporation has to offer you is something that they stole from your ancestors' toolkit, made a worse version of it, and then gave it back to you after beating it out of you to even ever think of doing it yourself earlier in a generation before or something. So that's what, that's what the services really are. I mean, ancestors at a certain point didn't need it, but as civilization has grown, which has benefits, this other type of cancerous growth that's been going on as well, 
through, I mean, this is because of the, I think that people are too, too like there's a, a longer story here, so I don't want to go on too much of a tangent, but I think that there's a longer story of human trauma, psychological trauma, ancestral trauma that's led to, uh, to a, a, or sort of like running away into the collective mind, uh, so, uh, evacuating your own selfhood and your own personal responsibility because of being a, deep down afraid that you'll mess it all up. And, you know, that has deep psychological roots for humanity. But like you said, we can't blame it all on one individual. I have a question for you, though, about fungibility that before we move forward any, anymore, we talked about NFTs or non-fungible. As I understand it, that means that they can't be divided, right? Like you can't cut the digital image in half and give somebody one piece that's worth $200,000 and another piece that's worth $200,000. So there's just another, that's, this is the only, this is the only place where all this digital stuff comes in handy is mm -hmm. fungibility. That's it. It satisfies no other requirements of money. It's one fifth of the things that we went over in terms of fungibility, durability, portability, recognizable, uh, recognize what's the word for that? Uh, recognition, I guess. Uh, how well recognized it is and stability. Everything else, it doesn't have any of those. It just has fungibility, and that's what everybody's getting duped into. It's like, oh, look at this video game currency, yee! You know? Yeah, it's the NFTs to me is just like one level deeper into crazy because if you really want to get rid of, like, if you had, if you had something that was, you know in a decent level of demand and you had a hundred of it and you could sell each one for five bucks, you'd probably, I mean, even like uh, any kind of dealer of some th type of grocer item is going to want to be able to split it into smaller and smaller parts and then, and then value each of those smaller parts more highly. Just like when you buy in bulk, you get a better deal. So the fact that there is zero fungibility to something like a LeBron James slam dunk video that you just dropped $200,000 on, I guess they're hoping that it will go up in value and in the video game world, it probably will for a time. But like you said, I mean, it, it's got no, it doesn't really have any I think it's, future. I think it's a symptom of a deeper, uh, you know, manifestation that's occurring is when you look at the most lucrative professions, they're all the most worthless professions, right? Like if, if you look at what really makes the most money, it's like financial services type uh, industries. That's why they're always in the cities, you know, whether it's like Wall Street or any, any other financial center. And these people don't actually produce value for a living. They just put people in debt, shuffle debt around. And as a result, these people are winning in the system. So they have all this illusory debt that they can afford to spend $200,000 on a fucking tweet. Are you kidding me? On an NFT or whatever. Meanwhile, the people that actually do produce value, like a plumber, electrician, farmer, you know, they, that's like a couple of years worth of, of their salary, you know, few, three or four, whatever. So it's like we are in a total, totally inverted society that allows all the criminal parasites to thrive while the people who produce the most value derive the least uh, benefit from it and that's why this system is basically like incentivizing people not to have a skill not to do anything of value in this world and that's when when they do make that shift 
because everybody's become a domesticated animal, they're all going to be caught with their pants down and not going to have any wealth outside the system. And so they're going to be dependent on the solution that the people who crash the system or change the system to the new order are going to provide them and say, well, we can take care of you, but there's going to be all kinds of bells and whistles attached to these uh, offers, if you will. And desperate people are just going to have to agree to, to go along with it. Otherwise they go hungry. You know, the, uh, the GameStop thing that just happened is what you made me think about and how it came out of Reddit, which is one of the worst places on the internet you could ever go for so many reasons, but it's a toxic cesspit, a more wretched hive of scum and villainy. You'd have to go like to, I guess, 4chan or something to get to. But anyway, uh, what what is the next kind of valuable pr- uh, product in terms of what large corporations are doing or have been for a while is also data. So now like ways to mine data. I think crypto mining and data mining actually have like very they're, they're joined at the root and they have similar end goals, although they didn't look that way early on. So here's a slide from uh, an article a year ago about, well, I, I put the top of the slide is not related to the article, CBDC, Central Bank Digital Currency. Now think of that as a concept of federally controlled digital currency, which will probably be the solution to the big crypto bust that is most likely inevitable and most likely to be engineered, you have this leading to central bank digital currency. And if by the time we get there, Microsoft has perfected their brain tracking, crypto mining, whatever it's going to be, chip, I guess, in your head, the patent suggests using body heat fluids or brainwaves to validate blockchain transactions and award users with digital currency such as Bitcoin. Just replace such as Bitcoin with FedCoin or whatever they'll call it And now you've got biometrics that reward the individual based on compliance. And that compliance is measured by biometrics. That means that they could even tell what advertisement you were watching on your phone or something and whether you reacted to it in a positive way or a negative way. I mean, I'm not even kidding. This is like thought control future could be possible. They could put out some article or some CNN video about like, you know, racism or something. And if you don't have the right reaction in your body heat and fluids or brain waves to validate the blockchain transaction, so to speak, that could even flag you as, you know, dock them five points of social credit. They don't have empathy about whatever, you know, whatever the false flag was or whatever the narrative was. They can go to such weird places. That's speculation. But I mean, how is that really a jump? from what we're seeing openly admitted over a year ago. You're looking at the last stage of metamorphosis and uh, we'll see, we'll see what comes out on the other side of this, but it looks like it's going to be not a beautiful butterfly, but like some dark, like reptilian dragon winged creature. That's like from the pit of hell. I mean, it's, it's just that disgusting when you look at where this is going. And that's why I titled the book, the second book, The, the Blackest of All Magic. Because when you really look into this sorcery, there is nothing darker, darker than this. This is like, this is going towards that dark matrix stuff. You know what I mean? Where it's like you are plugged into the battery and it's like the ultimate form of 
not only just slavery, but you're just like a livestock. Like we're already there, but this is even worse because you don't have any choice to get out of it. At least here, you can still go back into nature and some some way like avoid all this stuff. Yeah, we haven't crossed the total threshold yet. Uh, I don't think there isn't even a way to, unless it's something that is going to deform or defect your body in a very difficult way to fix. And unfortunately, that option's out there too for anyone who is ready for it. And people are lining up, so that's a different conversation altogether. Well, this we're going to talk now. Finally, getting to this long promised crime of 1873. I call it the so-called crime, not because I think that these guys aren't criminals, but because it's even styled in different terms. Like, not everyone agrees that it was a crime, <laughs> what happened here. So we have two options, Dylan. Uh, I could read from this article that's not too long, but it would be a good amount of reading. Or you could sum it up for us, and uh, I'll pick out the points that I specifically want to highlight. What do you think? It's up to your confidence in being able to summarize it, I guess. Uh oh, we lose you. Might have lost Dylan for a moment. We'll see. Or I'm muted. Sorry, I, I, yeah, I no mute worries. when I'm not speaking, so there's no background. So sorry, that's my fault. Basically, yeah. so like, I just like to tell people like I'm kind of like blue collar, like simpleton minded in a way. So like when I describe stuff, I kind of just give you the layman's terms. If you want to look at it in depth, by all means, read it. But basically the crime, crime of 1873 was silver was demonetized. Um, and this, again, remember I said it coincides with the joint uh, trust, all that shit from the, the canon trust law, right? Where they were just basically, it, this all happened. You, you have the constitution was changed. You have the act of 1871. It's after this country was destroyed through the Civil War, and they're now reorganizing everything. So they demonetized silver um, from the bimetal like standard that they had. Like people used gold and silver as a standard, and now it was just going into gold. Um, and the reason it was a crime is because the people who had their wealth in silver, like the savers, it punishes the savers. It's basically like saying overnight, by the way, Everything you've worked your life for and that it's stored in silver, it's now not a standard. So it's no longer money. And you're like, what the fuck? No like warning, no like, you know, no uh, exchange phase to like get at least some value from your silver back. So that's why it was called a crime. But that stuff wasn't really actualized till like a few years. It wasn't till like a couple years after where people really realized how bad it would be. Um, but that's what it is. That begins like what's going to the gold standard. and Again, you start seeing how the gold, even the gold standard is like the precursor to creating a one world currency in a, a world that's not modern, in a pre-technologically like modern world. So you, some people think we need to go back to a gold standard, but A, it doesn't satisfy anything and B, the, all the wicked people have all the gold. So that's, it's not a conscious solution. The solution is going to be competing currencies and decentralization. And freedom, people can buy and sell whatever they want, but they don't want to allow that because then they can't tax it. So that's basically what, why it was called the crime of 1873. But it, was, uh, it, it lasted, the gold standard lasted till about 1971 because it wasn't working out. And um, that's what they were smart and they, they pegged it to oil. You got the petrodollar and 
what we have since then is just unfettered debt. And that's why the, the Federal Reserve note, quote unquote, has lost over 98% of its value since in, per, in terms of purchasing power since 1971. And we are in this awful situation. It started with the crime of 1873. Yeah, <laughs> I think that we're going to have to touch a little bit more on that point of uh, bimetallism going and going to the gold standard. But one of the things that I found interesting was that before uh, before this happened, people could take their silver to the mint and have it coined or, st- or stamped or whatever you want to call it. And it made like official currency. So it does, as I understand it also, what happened was the bill was written and they basically gave out the weights and measures that would be the standard for every type of coinage that they had, like every type of size of money or denomination, whatever. And then they say that they forgot about the silver dollar. They forgot to put it in there, which is a amazing cover story. <laughs> Makes ton of it goes sense. back to what's legal tender, you know? And, mm-hmm. and when you have silver, the fact that silver is no longer legal tender in terms of like an actual standard you can no longer like, so like when you, I come from one of the oldest parts of the country. So when I, I, I grew up with people whose family farms are, are in their family for like 300 years, you know what I mean? And if you look at the original titles to these lands, the, the actual land patent, they bought these farms for like seven pounds sterling silver. So to demonetize silver and to make it not legal tender you basically just undid everything that made Americans sovereign. Yeah, I totally agree. And even I, I put this slide up. People can pause it on here and read it if they want. There's a little more information about it from the official story. Not going to bother reading it. It's an interesting event to look into. I thank Dylan for pointing me in that direction for this conversation to look into that because it informed a lot of the other, you know, looking at that one microcosm does show you how What's happening today is actually similar. And here's what I mean. We have the golden child versus the scapegoat. I thought this slide was pretty funny. Golden goat and then the scapegoat. In the older, in the crime of 1873, in a sense, bimetallism was the golden child to later people when they looked at, like, where did everything go wrong? Um, And the scapegoat would be the gold standard. Or in or the uh, yeah, just the gold standard. But in reverse, too, the people that made the change were saying that because you had bimetallism, that's the scapegoat, and uh, going to a gold standard will be the is the golden child. And why I use this metaphor is because it's like what a manipulative parent always does. They take one kid and they like pedestal them, and then they put the other kid uh, in the pit, <laughs> and so both both individuals suffer in this case. But it's also it's just an old tactic of uh, of social engineering to give two sides that are both actually controlled. And why this is important is because now it's like, is it fiat or is it, is it crypto? Is crypto the golden child that's going to save us and fiat is the scapegoat? Or is to, for some people, going back to a gold standard or going back to a metal-based standard would be the, uh, the fix and not crypto is the fix. But as you can see, like there's a bunch of different ways that this dichotomy of this is the solution and this is the uh, problem is just being played in a bunch of different configurations for different people's perspectives, all with the same outcome, which is that we get a system that is 
like if we did go back to a gold standard, like you said, the same families own all the gold as control the banking. So it's like, are you really at the end of the day, what you said about competing currencies makes the most sense because since when is there only two options in real life about anything? There should be, there should be always a multiplicity of something if it's like a real living situation. And so, yeah, crypto has that going for it that there's a bunch of different competing coins, but it doesn't meet any of the other criteria for money. So you just have to be real about the fact that it's not wealth, not that you shouldn't get in there or not that it could even help some communities do some things like it, it surely can. But like what those things are that it helps them with, if it's real help would be that they get the land and they like you said, you could have bought land with silver back then. And now you can at least get, you know, a deed to land, not exactly real ownership with with your crypto investment profits. Sure. And if you had turned it into fiat, that is. But the main point of, of this uh, bringing up the crime of 1873 for me was just from my opinion was just to show that it's like you said, it's not in any of the systems that are offered to us by like the collective are probably always going to be sourced from the same place. That's why the idea went viral to uh, use a, a pun. Well, one of the things that's been going on is people are starting to understand how fucked up the legal system is and how we were basically taken off the land and deprived of all of the things that we inherently are born with and one cannot become rich or wealthy right if you go back to those original definitions remember like one of them was like i think for wealth was like happiness like all these cool things that people really you know want and or that people seek in life um one can't become rich or wealthy accumulating money substitutes how many people in the audience actually own gold and silver which is real money at some point one has to convert the money substitutes into real money or they will forever hold future promises on wealth whether that's fiat whether it's crypto so you got to convert that into something of value for you to become wealthy otherwise you're just looking at digits in a screen and the other thing to be uh, paying attention to is that. Well, can I make, let me make reason, a quick point actually. Yeah, get, do you think? Hold that, don't lose that. But you're basically acting as an agent for the crown by holding the future value for the thing because who ha who currently has the real value is the, the, you know, the individuals that actually own the land or actually own the gold. So if all you do ever do is shuffle around the promises of future wealth or debt notes or whatever you want to conceptualize it as, depending on the currency, you're only ever just like adding value to their bigger system that they actually own in a sense by keeping it going, by being the lifeblood or the oil in their machine, the cog in their gears. You might be yeah. muted again. Yeah. Um, so like one of the the big things, because everybody's starting to become aware, not everybody, there is a growing movement that's becoming aware of how fucked up what they did to our four, like our, our, like maybe like four generations back, our ancestors. And they're starting to realize that, oh my God, we have to, like the income tax was supposed to be temporary. A lot of people don't realize that they propose that as a temporary thing, just like they're proposing these stimulus as temporary things, but nothing is as 
so permanent as a government temporary program. And you better better burn that into your brain that once you give up something, getting it back in your lifetime is probably going to be impossible. And I would like to ask people, do sovereigns own property or hold assets? Do you hold precious metals in allodium? Then are gold and silver assets or property? If your thinking is clear, you should not even refer to gold and silver as assets because you own them in allodium. You paid t- taxes on to nobody. Nobody knows you have them. Nobody can take them from you without the use of force. Sure, they can write some silly ass law and tell you, oh, it's illegal to, to own this and that, but you don't have to consent to that contract. And sovereigns own property. They convert money, gold and silver, into property. That's why land. That's why they don't pay taxes on it. But if you're just discharging debt for a debt, you're basically a glorified renter. Look up the mortgage, all of that stuff. You are not the owner. You don't own anything unless you can produce the original land patent. And the reason this is important is because everybody's looking at all these alternatives to gold and money as though, or gold and silver, as though they're money. But they're confused on what money is because that term money has been used so casually in everything else since money ceased to be used in this country. Where in reality, not one person has legally used money to tender a debt in this country unless you're in one of the few states that allow allow it. I think Utah is one of them. Uh, There's some others that are starting to move that direction. But... uh, you can't service a debt with a currency that has no backing in value or substance. That's like the definition of money is it ha- like it has to have value or substance to satisfy a debt. And no contract is valid in common law unless it involves an exchange of good and valuable consideration. So debt can only be paid with something of substance. Since crypto is valued in debt-based fiat, it's by definition has no substance because it can't ever satisfy a debt because it's running on the same subversion that the bankers used against the modern world when they demonetized silver to begin with in the crime of 1873. And then in 1971, they demonetized gold. So you don't own your property because you didn't convert anything of value into it. You just discharge debt, whether it was actual like paper notes, whether it was digital, it doesn't matter. And crypto isn't worth anything in the actual world other than what a willing buyer will buy it for on that exchange and what a willing seller will sell it for. It's very much the same thing with real estate. You know what I mean? It's like, look at when our parents were buying houses in like the eighties and shit, they were spending like 50 grand on a house. And now it's like, Oh, my house is worth 800 grand and I'm going to retire. You know what I mean? It's like, well, yeah, but that garbage is what makes it so our generation can't afford houses. You know, it's like, we are literally waking up homeless on the, land our forefathers once conquered and it's it's disgusting so this is all very what's the word it's all conceptual when you look at at all of this if you want to play the game play the game but don't play the game and pretend you want a better system when you're engrossed in the current system so if you're going to be doing one thing Make sure you're dipping out and putting the profits you pull in another system that's independent and has no counterparty risk to all this system. That way you can protect yourself. And if this digital illusion system, which seems like it's going to be the next thing going forward, because I don't see enough people who even know what's going on, 
Well, then you got to be prepared that you're going to have to participate in that. But you can still have the majority of your wealth outside of it now by accumulating real property, whether that's gold, silver, real estate, you name it, get it out of the system. The problem is with real estate, they can always raise the taxes and price you out of it and get you to sell. And um, they can make it so you can't evict people who aren't paying your rent like they've done. So you're basically stuck paying a mortgage and not even getting income on the property. So it's like a giant clusterfuck. There's a lot of counterparty risk. Gold and silver have no counterparty risk. I'm not saying there's something you buy to make money off. They're just life insurance for, for your finances. And we got to get off the system of illusion if we're going to go forward into any type of freedom-based living again. Otherwise, it's just going to be more control, more digital slavery, and ultimately we get to decide um, what that's going to be. But it looks like right now the masses are going with the digital slavery. Yeah, man. And what that looks like, this is the final slide. This is not something we're going to go into. We talked about Microsoft patent and crypto mining from your bodily functions, but look up the phrase internet of bodies and find out for yourself. And um, maybe that's a good place to start putting your foot down. <laughs> Don't, if you haven't been putting your foot down in other ways, like maybe this, when you look into internet of bodies and what it means, there's, it seems like every couple of years they come up with something that's even more the mark of the beast. I don't think there is a mark of the beast, but Internet of Bodies is uh, definitely fits that type of description. If you aren't going to be able to buy, sell, or trade without some kind of implant, that's always been the looming threat, right? And I'm not saying that's coming or happening. I'm just saying look into this information. I don't think it's a distraction in terms of uh, something it's worthy of your time to at least be informed of how these systems might look and to know that whether in my opinion whether or not they succeed and we're winding down now everybody we're getting close to the end whether or not they succeed in this like technocratic next level of the revolution or it fizzles out i think at a point there is going to be probably i think the fizzling out is uh, hopefully going out with a whimper not a bang i think it's pretty likely since tech and it is such an imperfect science if you will the more deeply we go into relying on these artificial systems the more potential room there is for bugs in our code relying on nature nature doesn't have mistakes in its code because it's not a code it's reality it's being it is what it is gold is what it is silver is what it is and what you said just before i started speaking Dylan, I think everyone should realize this. What you've told them in that last monologue is the most valuable thing maybe they've heard ever in terms of like what is going to have a real bearing over whether or not they have actual security, actual uh, you know generational wealth, actual life insurance against the you know the new world order crashing and burning or or being so bugged out that you can't even go places anymore. You can't even travel outside the country, what have you. I mean, I think the possible directions things could go are many, and I think that they will go in many different directions. I don't think humanity is so far gone to all march lockstep into a transhuman future, but I do think that there's going to be a lot of friction in everyone's path, regardless which one they choose. But that's all also the obstacles are the path even for the transhumanists, you know, like the, the pain they go through of 
whatever body modification they're into, um, that's their teacher. Just like the the difficulty of learning the learning curve or um, changing habits in terms of of how we are spending our spiritual currency as much as our uh, which is attention. You know, you brought up so many good points about that in terms of how people are just literally siphoning off their life force to conceptual demons. Uh, it's uh, hypothetical entities, uh, ghosts in their head. It is a really weird time to be alive, for sure. But I thank you so much for, you know, if you've got closing thoughts, go for it. But I, I really thank you for the time today. This is valuable. This is a conversation I would want to hear. My favorite shows are the ones where I'm like, okay, this is, I try to make them all this way if I can. But the ones where at the end of the conversation, I'm, and when I listen back to it later, I'm thinking, this is, I'm so glad I found this episode of whatever. Like, this is really helpful information. I, I think that this is that. And uh, I hope people are able to use it referentially and, and look up and look into some of the things we brought up, get into looking into definitions of words, maybe even share this as a, share this with other people that are interested in crypto, but also still open-minded. So, so that at least we can know what we're marching into, what we choose to participate or not in is our choice and, and all that. But yeah, we just need to be more aware of it. That's always the key. Yep, and everybody has free will, regardless of what kind of um, argument they can make that we don't. You have a choice in every moment, and nature is very, it's an impersonal thing. Um, even though all signs of natural law point to a will of creation, God, if you will, whatever, whatever term you're comfortable with, you ultimately have a choice in everything, even if the choices aren't really to your liking and you're kind of, you kind of wish you had better options, you still have a choice. And so the struggle or the, the challenge is just to make the best choice and be able to have a long-term or a long view vision. And that's why knowing history is so important because when you know history, you can see how these cycles and patterns repeat themselves. So when you see it in current time, you know what they're doing. And I think that's the real reason they lie to us about history so much and they do everything they can to destroy everything so that we can't draw from previous experiences of our ancestors to look at how they got taken advantage of. That way we're gonna, it's like, it's like how do you keep your livestock so that they're perpetual suckers? And I think that's the whole purpose of them destroying history so they can continually take advantage of us. But as you acquire more knowledge, you can make the best decision for yourself. So then you're not bound by anything because you know what's going on. You can say, yeah, I'm going to dive into this crypto. I'm going to make a shitload of profit off of it. I'm going to sell, get out, and I'm going to convert that profit into real value, real wealth, and it, uh, you know, get out of the system. There's nothing wrong with that. We're not, here, you know, we're not here telling you what you should do with your energy because ultimately it's all yours. You earned it. You do whatever you want to. Just know that whatever you do in this life is going to help program the current condition. So don't sit there and go, you know, when you're in digital slavery, go, oh man, I, I had, I, I, I'm, I wish this didn't happen to me. You know, it's like, well, you were the one that was engaging in the system that gave that to you, and you didn't prep for it. You didn't take enough action. Um, if you're, you know, people are going to get burned. It's their own fault. And I hate to say that, so at the but it's it's reality. So at the end of the day, when all this happens, just know that 
things that can't go on forever don't go on forever. And that's the beauty of nature is everything has its cycle. We may be living through a bad collapse, but things will get better. And as long as once you start like removing all your selfish whims and, and, and um, basic needs, you can stop feeling sorry for yourself and just recognize where we are in the cycle. We're going into the fourth turning, if you will, which is basically the use of technology to eradicate the need for, you know, human labor. And that could be a good thing in one way, but, you know, people without purpose don't live as long. People who don't have, you know, when people retire, if they don't have another passion to go into, they generally die a lot quicker than somebody who has other passions and hobbies to put their energy into. So you got to find out what your passions are, what makes you happy, and what give, what invigorates you. You know, when you do it and it invigorates you, go do that. And even if it's only a side hustle, just do something and start a business and become more of an entrepreneurial mindset rather than always looking at, I need to be an employee because the employee is getting cold right now. And in case you haven't been paying attention the last year, those days are over. They're slowly approaching to their end and it's never going to recover. You think it's going to come back. It's not. It ain't coming back. They're going into basic universal income the way this is going. It might not be called that, but they're just going to keep marching on until you guys stop. If you're a business owner, if you don't close down and the people rally behind you, they're not going to be able to shut you down. But if you close down, then there's, you know, or if you're the public and you don't support your local businesses, well, then don't complain when you don't have access to good quality, you know, local things. So this is the direction we're going. We don't have to go to that direction. At any point, it's like, imagine like you're in a boat. You can just shift gears and go a different direction. You might not be able to escape the trade winds, but you can get away from the part of the ocean that you're in for sure. Brilliant, man. Yeah, we program the condition of our future with our thoughts and actions, mainly the actions though. And so I want to point out that like one word that we haven't mentioned is charity. It's a good place to end. Uh, supporting local businesses, you can look at that as a, as a charity, a charitable act because it might be a little bit of convenience you sacrificed or a little bit of expense you sacrificed, but you're, there's a, there's some community available through local businesses that it, the big corporations, we all know that soul is missing. The employees are being cold, like you said. And charity as a natural law or law of nature, I think is one of the most self-evident ones because nature charitably provides for our needs. And I would make a distinction between charity and uh, altruism as well. You know, maybe like a Randian take. Charity is when there's a li real life living being in front of you in need and you you serve that need in a, a need that is like life essential that is in my opinion what charity is like we could go look that up in Webster's and see if I'm close or not but like giving money to a, a organization a big corporate so-called nonprofit is not charity uh, altruism which is what I would define as going out of your going into harm's way if you will to self-sacrifice for a group or for other people uh people it's always like tied to virtue signal this is not what we need actually we need to be taking care of ourselves as much as we can so that there's not a need for this like altruistic vampirism that goes on and that's a, another conversation but i just want people to think about the difference between charity and altruism 
you know, throwing what you call money that's not even real money at a problem from a distance. That is, uh, at best, you could call that altruism, but it's not charity. But actually feeding someone in front of you that's hungry, that's charity, right? So uh, that's the type of programming to keep in mind as we go forward. Like, are we going to are we going to solve our problems by donating to the cause, our, our fake currency, our debt-based whatever, or our conceptual ones and zeros? Or, or are we going to actually go out and do something that serves life in nature, in reality, and other men and women who are life? So that's kind of my take on, on the wrap-up. But also want to say thanks to everyone in the chat. There's a lot of you that have been rocking this chat the whole way through, and I think that is awesome. You guys are great. Yeah, thank you everybody. We appreciate it. It's it good turning. It's it's tough to um, it's tough to like keep up with the chat because it's like we're having like a good conversation, and then you see all these good comments that you want to respond to, but you can't uh, you can't otherwise it just it just interrupts the flow of everything. And then you in this this type of knowledge or this type of these subjects, they're so cavernous that like it requires going through all these other little holes and corners just to get back to this you know subject but it's all related you know and so it's it's really easy to get lost so it's hard to kind of participate with the chat uh but you know maybe we can do like a question and answer or maybe we could do go on clubhouse or something at some point you know just bounce off like people want like that's that's where we've been uh, hanging out at night sometimes if everybody uh, has ever heard of the app called clubhouse um one of the rooms we hang out on the most probably is crow seven sevens so that it would be C R R O W seven seven seven, and get that up because I think the more people that are on there, you'll probably have a, a bit better chance of enticing Crow himself to come on there. But right now it's being run by like Rose and Jason and stuff. But we're always like discussing all kinds of fun topics, you know, and it's a really good way to like actually communicate people with people through voice and not all these um the comments are hard because they're impersonal. You know what I mean? It's a lot different when you can hear someone's tone of voice. So, uh, thank you for being a part of it. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. And, uh, I look forward to the next thing we're going to tackle, but it's really cool. One of the things that I like that we've done so far, we've, we've really like isolated subjects every time we've come on here that even though they're all connected to each other, they're totally different topics. And I think that provides tremendous value for people. And we did it for free, you know, like we gave everybody our time and attention and our car, our spiritual currencies, our knowledge, the shit that we had to look up for, you know, hours and hours throughout our, our lives as we learn this stuff. So, you know, pay it forward. If you think, uh, if you found value in what we talked about, go uh, subscribe to Interverse podcast, become a paid member um, to his Patreon or at least to like Rockfin or whatever you like to subscribe to. Uh, go give my books a go. They're really inexpensive for the knowledge that you get, uh, that you get from it and the skill set you get from it. It's going to be probably the best money you've ever spent. Assuming you're not like new to these subjects. If you're new to these subjects, it might really be um, more detrimental to you because it's kind of like sometimes a person's belief can actually benefit them because it gives them confidence they otherwise wouldn't have. And when you prove that their belief is erroneous and it was just in their head, then that confidence gets lost. And even though they now know the truth, they don't perform well in life as they did when they had beliefs. So 
it's just one of those things if you're serious about truth and serious about learning what's going on so you can actually take right action and, and protect yourself against it, then my books are for you. Uh, it's the Spirit World series. If you like more alchemical like allegories, uh, that would be the, my fiction series called The Tale of Onora. That's O-N-O-R-A. And, you know, ultimately one of the best things anyone can do is produce art, music, painting, um, film, all that stuff. Cause that's, that's, what's going to get our nation back in a place of spiritual enlightenment is the art. We, the art reflects the people. There's no question about it. And as, as you can see right now, the art is as degraded, uh, degraded and just disgusting and low vibrational as possible. It's all demonic infested trash. So people like me write books because what I ultimately intended to do was to make my films, uh, my books into films, but then shit started hitting the fan way quicker. So I was like, I gotta, I gotta publish my nonfiction notes and take a break from all my fantasy stuff because the nonfiction is way more important at this cycle in life. But I feel like I've done a good enough job where now I can get back to like doing fun things that I enjoy and not focusing so much on, you know, these subjects. You know, that's exactly the vibe that Clint Richardson was in last time I talked to him. And uh, that, like, he just wanted to get back to making things for the sake of the love of making it, music in his case. Really important. That's a good last note. Uh, do the thing that you love, and then your life will be more filled with love. It's, like, pretty sim simple. And uh, even talent is a function of care. So just focus on what you care about. Anyway, uh, Dylan's book, the first book, I linked it in the chat. Also, we mentioned Clubhouse just now. Last thing I want to announce is if anybody wants to be like a Clubhouse moderator for me and help me get an interverse room going and just set things up that I can jump into and when I want, I'd love some help. Like I'm kind of at max capacity in my world right now. I'm really trying. Like it's a it's all flow state, but would love a little bit of a hand there. If you don't have Clubhouse, I can send you an invite link too. So. Message me on Instagram. I'll probably get back to you fastest through that, but other ways would work too. And Dylan, thank you for being here with us. His books are Spirit World, World, as you see in the video, W-H-I-R-L-E-D. Inexpensive, but a wealth of knowledge. And uh, wealth is prosperity, and knowledge will bring that to you even if you go through a little dark night of the soul. So don't be turned off by, by any of it. Uh, and I love you, man. You're a really good friend. It's been awesome working together and getting... I feel like our, our synergy gets even better as we go. So I appreciate you greatly. You've been a good teacher to me and uh, legit wildfire in terms of uh, spiritual knowledge. So much appreciated. Yeah, I love you too, man. We're a good duo. You know, it's like uh, it's, it, it, it really does feel like the hand of God is guiding us right now. Um, you know, like like literally – 2020 2019 was like the worst year of my life going into 2020 and i lost my jobs at the beginning of the shutdown because i was in california which shut down first and then like you kind of helped me get in touch with crow and then crow and jason and rose i've made good like become friends with them and, and it's like really does feel like the universe or god whatever you want to call it the angels are are kind of setting in motion to get us towards the people who are are most like us, but like in, in ideology as well and like principle. And, uh, you know, I got me, I feel like I was plucked out of Los Angeles, which I've been trying to get out of for a while now because it's been going to shit for so long. And now I'm in a very, very safe place. Haven't worn a mask once this whole thing. So like, I really feel like 
uh, there are higher forces protecting us and that maybe the grand scheme of things, it's out of our control. It might be controlled by destiny or fate, but I feel like it's like a choose your own adventure. How we get to what's going to happen is like anybody's decision, you know? And so it's really fun every time we get to touch base and uh, uh, you provide incredible value to my life. And I'm very grateful that we cross paths. Man, thank you. That was great. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll wrap it up. Otherwise, we're just going to get into a praise circle jerk fest, but it's fun. Yeah, it is really fun. We'll definitely do more. Uh, love coming in with a layout of uh, slides and everything. That was kind of new for my show. So good stuff. And thanks, everybody. In hey, the chat. shout out to Ned. Hey, Ned, Ned said a bunch of really nice things, but it was never appropriate to like give him a shout out because it was always we were always talking about something. But thanks, Ned. Really appreciate that. Yeah. Thanks, everybody in the chat. New and old, all you guys are awesome, and we'll catch you later. All right, man, mission accomplished.